When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Isaac Simpson, who is the founder of Will the Agency, which is an ad agency providing marketing services that break the mold of the current politically correct zeitgeist. And in this conversation, we talk about his time in the advertising industry and his inside point of view and why ads suck so much. We also talk about his roots as a progressive atheist and then his conversion over time into a based conservative who openly espouses so-called right-wing beliefs. I found him very candid and convivial. And if you are interested in his work, you can find his podcast, The Carousel, as well as his socials linked down there in the description. Without further ado, here is Isaac Simpson. Were you always uh, right wing or was that like a... Uh, so are we recording now? Should, are we starting? <laughs> I thought that would be a great <laughs> first question. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that would be a great place to cut in. No, I haven't always been right wing. I was. I started as a lefty. I was a Bernie bro for a little while. I was a, I was a straight up communist for a couple of years there. Oh. Yeah. Uh, kind of similar to Dave, the distributist, kind of like California progressive, just kind of following the head. Well, uh, Dave, the distributist is like, has 30 IQ points on me. So whatever he, <laughs> whatever he, and probably everyone yeah. uh, besides like Curtis Yarvin, maybe. Um, and uh, so whatever his path was, it was probably quite different than mine. I was just I grew up in Chicago and I grew up in a very liberal household. So to me, like becoming right wing was never really like an option hmm. at all. Yeah, I, it was literally like not on. It was not even something I considered as a possibility at all until maybe, you know, 10 years ago or something. What do you mean? Very liberal household. You guys just like read Noam Chomsky before bed. Is that what? <laughs> no, not that intellectual. My parents are academics, but theater academics. Oh. So like theater people. And um, my father is a wasp from a long generation of progressive Chicago people. And then my mother's a Jew. So she and her family is very ultra left reform. You know, like many Jews have leftism or not even leftism, but like progressivism as their religion. And they, you know, that's essentially what they replace religion with you know yeah. what's the content of that you think that progressivism the content yeah like the yeah the the, the axiomatic principle like you know the content like what fulfillment the humanity of that it's like uh judaism is victimhood i would say right huh. and i mean because judaism you know it's a um yeah it's they think you know it's you hear the people who say Trans Jewish, this isn't or transness is inherently Jewish. You know, you hear stuff like that, and I think it's because the history of Judaism is a lot about being outsiders and being victims, and 
So a lot of people take reform Judaism essentially takes none of the, uh, you know, as we say, the justice of God and all of the love of God. And that's it. It's just all the love, none of the justice. Yeah. Pure mercy, <laughs> no zero rules. severity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And what was that like for you? Like having that as your backdrop? Um, like how did that spin you towards looking at the world, I guess, politically or apolitically, if you didn't think in terms of political, maybe you just artistically endowed. What do you, so you're just mean like, how did that, I mean, I was very left wing. I was very, you know, um, I was always, you know, like, I think you kind of know when you're young, if you really love the fountainhead, you're probably going to be conservative you know if you like if you love Anne Rand which yeah. I really did and that was like not okay it was like people were like oh no you shouldn't like th those are bad those are bad books <laughs> you, know, like, you shouldn't like those and um so I loved Anne Rand and that was kind of the, an early indicator um <clears throat> but yeah you know I was I was Obama one I was you know I think um People like me are inherently kind of uh, we're going to try to push against whatever environment we're in, you know, in, in any way. Uh, the environment I happen to be in was ultra left wing. I, you know, I'm from Evanston, Illinois, which is where Northwestern is, and it's the only place in the country that has reparations. So I literally have friends who have received reparations, you know, and, and it's like very weird. I read about that when it came out. It seemed like the a reasonable sort of reparations where it was about housing. It was like directing money yeah. to, to build up the black community through housing or something like that. Not just giving them like millions of dollars like San Francisco, like apparently wants to do or at least says they wanted to do. Yeah. Well, but I think the San Francisco one is also through housing, isn't it? Okay, I've, I haven't looked into it. I know it's pretty extreme. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think the California one is also technically couched in housing discrimination um, because they can't really. I think it's just too hard to track this. Like it's, it would be impossible to track slavery, so they are doing it through that for some reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, like early on, like you were you disagreeable towards leftism or progressivism? I mean, no, like, no, again, it wasn't, I didn't have the framework to really understand that. Like, but, you know, being conservative was not even an option at all. It was just so distant that doing it would have been insane, you know? And, um, so yeah, I didn't even think about it as an option for a long time. And, uh, yeah, you know, it just wasn't something that was really like on the table. But yeah, I was always very questioning. I was very um, argumentative with the people in my world at that time. I just didn't think it was because I was conservative. I just thought it was because I didn't like them. You know, like basically. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I bring that up because I wanted to talk about um, creative and especially right wing creative, or if if right wing is even the correct way to frame it we could get into the, the language around like neo-reactionary dissident uh, all the the different ways that we could classify it but insofar as i guess maybe even another vector is based versus cringe but trying to think of like how does one be creative and not a liberal or not sign up to the progressive project especially when we see that all 
like as a 90s kid myself or like a little bit earlier than 90s kid you know like the conservatives were always fuddy duddies like i grew up christian my dad's a pastor christian music's always just like 10 20 years behind popular music you know it catches up so it's like how do you be avant-garde and conservative at the same time how do you be avant-garde and dissident at the same time and then we see now with wokeness being basically it's just queered conservatism at this point it's it's queered fascism so of course it makes sense like doing that flip so i'm just like so pardon me for like getting into your psychology, your family and stuff. I just want to see like from just like your meaty human experience, how, how we can start, like how you come into this conversation, how you converted and then what you're bringing to the table and what kind of ideas that you're seeing we can like latch onto, like where, where the cultural inflection points are on, on kind of breaking through the hegemony of, of the thing called wokeness, that kind of presumption, that arrogant presumption of universalist, globalist hegemony that dresses itself up as like lifting up the needy, um, or, you know, like bulk in, in effect, balkanizing everybody according to identity, but it's under the guise of progressivism. It's under the guise of liberalism. So uh, sorry to go deep and then to go broad again. So that's kind of like my trajectory of, uh, discourse. Love it. No, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And I think that yeah, I mean, I think I've been sort of labeled as a culture war guy. And we had an event here, for example, a few weeks ago with Delicious Tacos reading, me reading, and Curtis Yarvin reading. And it was called Acorns for the Culture War, which is the name of Yarvin's essay about this very thing. And uh, it was hosted by the New Right Podcast. And the New Right Podcast, these guys are very artsy uh one of them's kind of like a well actually i shouldn't say anything about him but he he's a very he's an artsy guy and um this is the whole topic of everything we're saying is how do you make a right-wing art movement how do you make it cool um and i think uh yeah no i'm totally following you i think i think it's a really good question i mean i, I guess we can look to like you know the italian futurists were right wing right i mean marinetti and those guys like they they were an art movement that was inherently right wing i mean it's not totally impossible right it's not Could you, it's not completely impossible to do it refresh me with what what their style was or what what era the italian futurists were working in i believe they were in the 30s okay i think yeah. that was like the 30s and it was sort of precursor to to italian fascism yeah and they were like, you know, it's always a big right sell. Thing. We can look to fascists. For yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> hey, they were great. Great symbol symbols. Very cool. <laughs> great branding. Great branding. You actually wouldn't believe and I'm not going to name any names, but you wouldn't believe how much time I spend talking about the swastika because it's just like, you know, it's such a powerful it's such a powerful brand and I do branding, you know, so it's like it always comes up the, modern. There's like a, a, a law of modern logos. Over a certain period of time, they will either be compared to a swastika or an asshole. Like it's two two paths, you know. Really, <laughs> over time. Yeah. Where does the cross yeah. come down on that, or the Jewish star? Uh, Probably the, Jewish the, star the, is the, the asshole, and Jewish the swastika star is obviously an asshole. Okay, obviously. the cross is a, a swastika. Asshole. Okay, the cross is a swastika. Yeah, there you okay. go. <laughs> in, in meaning, also, <laughs> you know, not only it's the yeah yeah. Huh. So, okay. So, um, 
how did you, there's, I guess there's two lines of questioning, like your, your intellectual development, your artistic development or aesthetic development, do they intertwine? Are they, are they inextricably bound? You mean like politics and art? Yeah. Politics and aesthetics. I think so. I, you know, a lot of people disagree with that. And many people uh, say, no, no, it's, you know, you shouldn't have political art. Politics poisons art. I don't think that at all. I think, you know, look at Orwell. I mean, every everything Orwell did was overtly political. And he was making allegories. Ayn Rand, everything she did was overtly political. I think you can totally make political art. And I think that, you know, you don't have to. But I think uh, for me, it's absolutely intertwined. Okay. For sure. You, I was listening to your chat with Gio. I, yeah. I can't re- pronounce his last name. Uh, Pinacchietti. Pinacchietti. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that's. He, he's a brilliant guy. He, he's such an interesting character because he sounds like just like a a small truck driver in New York. You know, he's just like loading and unloading frozen meats and then you listen to what he's saying he's like doctorate level analysis of the culture where it's just like this great kind of mix and you there was this brilliant part of that conversation that you had with him where you kind of poke him about the difference between art propaganda and content and he says something about content that i've been basically is my philosophy about what i'm doing on my channel what i'm doing you know when i say i'm a content creator like by content I mean, this very broad thing. That's It's actually a very deep and broad category of content. And, you know, so we talk about the difference between art or the contention between art and politics or art and propaganda, art being something that's immortal, out of time, untimely, and propaganda being something that's basically built for time, built for power. And between them, Maybe, maybe not between them, but like there's this thing called content, which is a way of being in the world, a way of producing and interacting with the world that is art and is propaganda, but it's life. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. And because of the internet, because of the way that the internet is now, we're all kind of basically terminally online or, or, and terminal is like where you get on and where you get off. So, so there's the, the entry and the exit point or the, un, in, uh, the never ending aspect of that, that content kind of goes in and it can't not be political and it can't not be artistic. It's got to be both. So kind of like the landscape of media is different now that we're all kind of immersed in it all the time. Yeah. I mean, what do you mean? Um, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess just in my own personal philosophy about what I'm doing on my YouTube channel is that it's, it's minimal persona, you know, um, it, it's not produced in a sense where I have necessarily a distinction between me and who I am online. I'm not trying to be someone or trying to I guess it's it's like an inverted brand or it's a, it's a, it's not an impersonation. It's an embodiment. It's, it's an uploading of myself as I am in the moment through long form discourse through like through years being on Twitter, like Twitter is like little nuggets of myself and you can't really pinpoint who I am. But over time people become familiar with me. Like I'm using the medium as a way of connecting to other people. 
Right. So it is lifestyle. And so trying to wake up people or be engaged in a real way with people through the virtual medium is a lifestyle. It's like a full investment of it. And then understanding the algorithm, understanding like parasocial relationships and stuff like that, and understanding how there's fakeness around every corner, but still being confident and projecting something a little bit more than just a persona through that. That's like, I guess what I mean. So do you ever enter the world of kayfabe? Um, Do you ever do, like, do you do stuff like at all that is like engagement oriented, like phony, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we all do, right. We all do some things like, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess on Twitter, like a mouth off, but I don't really have a persona. Like I just feel like a trickstery, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What about what, what? 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 That's a really big operative principle you see in all, all politic. Um, the refreshing part about the dissident right is their aesthetic, as opposed to, I guess, the the woke, um, the big name left, where you have Keith Oberman. You have these really cringy, uh, you know, like anti-Trump people or just people who are like sloganeering on an MPC level, like that kind of kayfabe is so shallow and boring and obvious, you know, and then you see the the right wing has kind of like a kayfabe, you know, like aesthetic with the bodybuilding saying things that are, you know, pushing the lines of acceptable discourse in a way that is very kayfabe um, that has a little bit more, there's a little more energy to it because it is countercultural. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of what they do is is pretty kayfabe. I mean, yeah, I think you and I, I mean, uh, what would you describe your Twitter persona as? Like, what do you think? How would you describe, like, who you are on there? I, I like sentences. <laughs> what? So I'm just looking for a good sentence. So I'll have a conversation like, with okay. Jim's Lindsay or like I'll read an article and then I'll think, or I'll joke around with my girlfriend and, you know, we'll talk about rape and rapeseed oil. Yeah. And then like, why is there not an extra virgin rapeseed oil? Like, oh, there's the tweet, you know? <laughs> that's good. That's a good joke. How was nobody? That's a great, that's, that's Bap really retweeted it. So I, I, I did, it, I did, oh, I did something. Nice. Right. Yeah. Nice. Good, good. Yeah. Speaking of kayfabe, he's the king of kayfabe. Yeah. So I guess like mapping out the dissonant, right? I guess, yeah, I guess I don't know where I'm trying to open up the conversation to you. Like thinking about this whole thing intentionally as a marketeer, as a branding agent, like what can we learn by looking at it as propaganda, as art, as branding? Well, I mean, like, so there are many who believe, and I think this is why this is such a great opportunity. Like the reason why so many people respond to my stuff and respond to will, uh, my agency is because the marketing world, the world of propaganda, and even this goes back to Bernays. So if you read Bernays, you know, the father of modern propaganda, his book sucks, by the way, it's really bad, but is it wrong or just poorly written? It's just poorly written. It's it's very vague. It's like, you know, it doesn't, it's like just bad. Um, It's like very top line. He doesn't really get into specifics. It's all like large, broad strokes. And you're like, what am I actually getting from this? But there is a passage in there where he says where we're headed. um, The decisions of the masses are going to be dictated by a few people that they don't, and they won't know who those people are. You know, by definition, 
modern propaganda includes people that are behind the shroud. You know, it's way it's that's by the definition of propaganda. That's kind of where we're at. And you see throughout the 20th century that developing more and more through like Saul Alinsky, for example. And you get to this phase where we're at now where the people in charge believe that their job is to be those people behind the curtain, right? Like they think it's their job to trick people into doing stuff. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, like that, that's what they, like Hillary, you know, I, I always make this joke. DC is basically like a writer's room of Ivy league kids on Adderall. And they're sitting around like making jokes and being like, wouldn't this be hilarious? Like, let's do this here, 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 and here. And you can see them doing this and you can see when they release, you know, oh, here's a new thing we're supposed to talk about, you know, like and yeah. and you can see them playing this kind of dance out. But it doesn't work anymore. Right. I mean, it's like it's obviously broken, like they stopped being good at it. And, you know, maybe they stopped being good at it, or maybe we got wise um, what people got Sorry, too what? media literate. Yeah, or people got into media literate, right? You could say it's the internet, which like revealed a lot of this stuff. Um, or you could say that in reality, uh, we're not supposed to lie to people all the time. You know, maybe maybe uh, Bernays was wrong. You know, maybe Alinsky was wrong. Maybe actually Teddy Roosevelt like was just a cool guy. <laughs> you know, maybe he just told people the truth and mm. that was it. You know, like, and I tend to believe that. I, I think that... You have these bad people, you know, if I, I don't know if, did you go to an Ivy League school? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to Evergreen State College. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. So if you, I didn't either, but it, I have Ivy League school friends. And if you meet them, they've all learned this sort of like um, tactics of perception. You know, they, they know how to have the correct interests. You know, they, they're like, oh, I, I'm a little bit into sports and I'm a little bit into art. Yeah, right. And I'm a little bit into, you know, they learn these sort of like things they're supposed to do that people like, which is very funny because it's like these are the leaders of our society and the leaders of our society are now learning how to seem normal. So it's like, that's not leadership. You should be leading. You shouldn't be trying to like seem like relatable, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I think we have just this really broken elites. And I yeah. think that uh, what we're seeing is how broken these elites are. And I don't think it has always been this way. I, I don't I don't personally believe that it's always been this way. And just social media now reveals it. I think this elite class has gotten rotten and we're seeing it. OK, yeah. Yeah. And so their propaganda sucks. Their yeah. propaganda is terrible. It's ugly. It's disgusting. We hate it. It it's, makes us fucking nauseated. Sorry, friggin' nauseated. And, um, you know, it's just bad. And I think that propaganda of the past was artistic because it wasn't rotten. It wasn't a lie. You know, I, I think the, the I'm sure if you've listened to my stuff, I use this example all the time. So, uh, you know, sorry if people have heard this before, but you open up the Wall Street Journal on a Sunday or a Saturday when it comes, and uh, there will always be an Altria ad in there. So Altria is formerly Philip Morris. It's big tobacco. And the ad will say, uh, we dream of a smoke-free future. <laughs> it's all about you know all the steps they're taking to make sure people aren't addicted to tobacco. 
So you literally have big tobacco, which is essentially an arm of the government now. So they just pay everything to the government. But since they've been basically nationalized, they can say whatever they want. They they know that they don't need to advertise tobacco. Everybody's doing it anyway. So they're out there literally saying the reverse of what they want to be true because they think that that makes people like them. And they think that that like, oh, the perception will, will favor them. And enough of that starts to drive people insane. And it starts to make people crazy because they're like, why am I being lied to all day, every day? You know, like I I, the another example, Subway Eat Fresh. It is the opposite of Eat Fresh. (laughs) You know, it's like it's like actually Subway Eat Preservative. But they're saying all the time the very thing that they aren't. And so it's like after a while, people start to really like, you know, hate. It's no wonder Pizzagate happens, right? Because they you start, you get enough of these lies all the time and you think, you know, it's just really damaging to the psyche, I think, of, of like your normal everyday person. And they just start to really distrust the, the, the you know, them, them. So um, to bring up something that, Aaron McIntyre has said, and I can't remember the context, but you have the left, um, whatever that is, the, the the entity that controls everything, um, that that has hegemonic power. They'll 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 just demoralize people, or they'll put people down. They'll put the culture down. They'll and and Oren will say, or the right wing, the dissident right will say, the demoralization is the point. And you're saying something slightly else. It's like they don't even have a point that they're making. They're just demoralizing everybody around. They're demoralizing the country by lying all the time. But it's because there's something broken in that they're not doing it intentionally. They're they're just kind of, it's taken over itself. And that's just what they are bound to do because they're looking. It's like a hypo agency. Like they're, they're, they're agencies. they're, They're always looking to what perception is, but. So nobody's actually in control except for some sort of statistical aggregate of like what they seem would be the cool thing. Colin Kaepernick seems like he's the, he's the, we put dreaded black guys in all the commercials from the nineties on. And now we have to, now he's cool for the sake of being cool because he, he looks the part, he says the part, and then we're going to give him a Netflix feature where he's going to look, look baldly dumb and stupid saying outlandish things because we have to, because he's, he's cool. Because we thought he was, we engineered cool, and now it's just it's taken on a life of its own. Yeah, I think that that's true. Like, yeah, I, in terms of what you said about Oren and where you're going, yeah, I think I take a little bit of a different tack. I don't think they are demoralizing us on purpose. I think they're demoralizing us because they think that this is what we want, you know, in a way, and and they're so separate from us there's they they've they've become so unmoored into their own world i mean some people have said really great stuff about like everything that you're seeing is like elites trying to one up each other at dinner parties in manhattan you know it's like oh you had the gay thing i'm going to have the trans thing you know yeah. and you had this well okay okay sally uh watch watch me like watch what i can do with my you know inheritance and that's kind of how i see it I, I i don't i think what we're seeing it, it to put it very simply is the shape of chaos 
<laughs> if, hmm. if that makes sense. Like, like we are seeing the order of chaos and the order of chaos feels conspiratorial, even though it isn't. It's like, uh, you know, you go down to Skid Row, which is chaos. We here in LA, nothing, no rules. And it's not that you go down to Skid Row and you see anything, right? It's not like you go down there and you see a lemonade stand. Yeah. <laughs> there could be one, but they don't. It's not like everything. It's chaos. And chaos looks a certain way. You know, it, it, like it, it orders itself in a certain way. Yeah. And it's horror where we're like witnessing when you go down there, you're witnessing horror. And uh, I think that's kind of what's happening also in the media, like like all of woke marketing, all of this propaganda that we're seeing. It's not really a conspiracy as much as it is the lack of one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so what where's the opportunity? It sounds like like because you're taking a stance like a kind of like just an American entrepreneurial stance on this. Like this is an opportunity. There's potential here for something else. And it's not necessarily hope it's opportunity. It's, I guess it's opportunistic hope. Right. So, so if that's the background, if that's the, the order of the day, where does that leave the people who are saying, or don't want to be saying, or want to have fun, want to be creative, you know, you're saying, where does it leave? The creative people? Well, I guess where does it leave the the smart, uh, the creative people who want to serve people who are, let's say, the stable middle class, the conservatives, the people who actually make the make sanity, make order, live in order, are disgusted by chaos. They need serve. They they need service. They need cool T-shirts. They want they want good films. They want to be sold things. They love. I mean, if if that Daily Wire reaction to Bud Light says anything. It says that conservatives want to be consumers. They really want to be consumers. They really want to consume content. They want to pay for things. They want to have like that nice treat at the end of the long work day where they're hauling ass, you know, uh, making life, raising kids and stuff like that. Consumerism is a part of that culture. So where does that, how is that exploited or served, I guess, in a more positive sense of the term? Well, that's what I'm working on. I mean, I think... Um, I, I sort of actually didn't finish this point. So this goes back to what I was saying about propaganda being necessarily behind closed doors. Unlike every other industry. So uh, unlike politics, unlike movies, unlike music, unlike um, books, any of these things, the propaganda industries are hidden, right? There is no way into them. You know, to, to get a job at, at a uh, as a creative, so somebody's making who's making decisions to get a job as a, at a creative at a big ad advertising agency, for example, it does not matter where you went to school at all. There's no pipeline into it. You know, you, you can't go to Harvard and then get a job at Wyden Kennedy. It, it doesn't work that way at all. You have to make a portfolio. And there are schools that will teach you how to make a portfolio. I went to one or I went to like a night school, you know, <laughs> for that. Uh, after law school and everything. But, uh, you know, so it's very hidden. Like the, 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 the propaganda industry is publicity, advertising. There's not really a clear pipeline into these places. And beyond that, people just aren't interested in it. 
You know, it's not like like with movies, there's a built in audience. Everybody wants to talk about movies with advertising. No one gives no one cares how the ad was made. Nobody knows or really thinks about these things. You know, it's not like there's like a there's no magnifying glass onto the propaganda industries. And that's actually a huge boon for us. That's great for us because there's no protection They like they're they're open. And we saw exact Bud Light. Perfect example, because when they put the picture of that woman, Alyssa Hainerschneid, when they put her up in the public, they were not ready for that. They were not ready for for that to, for her to be held up and to say this is who's destroying their culture. They weren't ready for that at all. Could, and that's why we won that one, because because it's such a weird, hidden, uh, utterly longhouse, other utterly um completely fat in the system area of their it's like a weak flank that they have you know and so that's what to return to your original question i think that it's you know doing what i do i know it's still really hard to make money doing based or you know dissident marketing branding it's still difficult right and the money in comparison to what they have is so insanely, it's like one million to one. They have all of the dollars. We have none of the dollars. You know? uh, but there is no inherent barrier there. There's an inherent barrier everywhere else. In books, you have no shot. You know, if you're if you're a right wing author, you there you're done immediately. You're crossed off the list. List. Same thing with anything else. If you're a right wing product, or not even a right wing product, just not a left wing product. You don't have anything stopping you. There's no like, there's no ceiling built in. I mean, they'll try and mess with the supply chains, which they own. Yeah. They'll try and mess with distribution. They'll try and mess with the media. You know, they'll try and screw you over. But there's not real. They don't control capitalism. I mean, we we don't yet live in a communist country. And as you're saying, there's obviously a massive demand for right wing people being consumers. And so. To me, it's like the easiest path to win this thing is build our own economy. You know, we yeah. build our own economy outside of theirs. I mean, what what is the entire internet based on? It's based on advertising. You know, it doesn't say dot art. It says dot com. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a commercial enterprise. And so to me, the, these brands, these base brands that are coming up that are founded by, you know, young dudes who are kind of defecting from mainstream finance they're doing so much more in my opinion to fight this mm -hmm. leviathan than you know yet another uh political pundit you know i mean what what are they really doing so you know yeah <laughs> speaking of which <laughs> what what's the aesthetic um i get and and it's, i guess there's this is a bad question because the aesthetic can be anything if 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 you're building a an aesthetic or if you okay how do you do market research into what works with conservatives right how do how do you make sure that you're building another new york times not a uh, you know like a what, what breitbart like on an aesthetic level if you go to the, their websites and you want you want something do you even want to go the elite route do you want to kind of be schlubby like how do you do market research how do you know how do you feel out like the humor I guess, and it would be easy to be reactionary. It would be just by, by I'm just going to do the opposite. But that's not creative. That's not real creative. 
That's predictable. I completely agree. It's a, it's a really good question. So I think the perfect example of what you're talking about is like, for example, uh, the Daily Wire, Jeremy's Razors, right? It's like the reactive brand. Yeah. Or there was that stupid ultra right beer, you know, or even like Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. These are all examples of brands that are just reactions, you know, and they're not. They're not grounded in beauty. They're not grounded in anything. They're just saying, screw you, other mm. thing. Mm-hmm. But it's literally just the same underlying product just painted with a flag instead of, you know, a rainbow flag. So how do you create things that are genuinely beautiful and real and mm. unpolluted by reactivity? Mm. I think that that's completely the goal. Um, and yeah, so it's like take van man right so van man is this brand of a uh, very popular brand of like um toothpaste and like face lotion kind of things and he does everything he's uh he makes like the toothpaste with eggshells right so he's using products that are higher end and that are uh and like beef tallow like separate from these lowest bitter hedge funds, private equity, pro- like ingredients that they love because they're really, really cheap. So like seed oils, right? Seed oils is the perfect example of that. Um, So first of all, it's about that. It's about creating things that are genuine and real and have real values and, you know, aren't just, as you say, just a painted reaction against the thing that already we don't like. So if, it, if, if it's a media company, right, which is, is kind of like what you're saying, you know, maybe it's how do you make it like look like the New York Times? Like, yeah, I think I think you want it to be that same level of quality uh, without being um, a reaction to it. But at the same time, you know, you have I mean, what's the anti New York Times? The anti New York Times is like revolver or, or drudge, right? Form, I mean, drudge has been obviously flipped somehow, but uh aesthetically those are like the we don't give a shit (laughs) you know like we don't care how this looks aesthetic right um you know and there's something to be said about that but no i think that what what we want to be doing is uh making things that are genuinely beautiful on their own and conservatives have always been so bad at that you know so bad that right have they though i mean i'm trying to think of a counter example like uh this is bad but um like if you if you look at the toaster oven from 1950 versus the toaster oven from 2000 right like you would have like a, like it, the 1950s toaster oven has a more conservative flavor just because of its status and time but it's also built well it's solid it it's you know but you can't you can't upscale it because the the craftsmanship the workmanship it don't you need kind of like to rely on some sort of aristocracy too and if the aristocracy is captured, you need to not only build an alternative economy, but an alternative aristocracy, like that that are the the taste leaders, the thought leaders, in right. in, in that uh, not mainstream or the dissident, and even all the words we use are, are tainted with reactionary dissident. It's always against. It's always it's not. It's in always and of against. Itself, yeah, yeah. yeah, reactionary. Right. Yeah. It's like we have all these words that are not standing on their own i mean that's why i actually really like the word based but it's obviously you can't rely on based because based is gonna go away and it's a rap or it's from yeah. rap so it's like we're not gonna be saying based in 20 years but i actually really love based because it's an earth metaphor you know and we kind of are in a world of out do you of know where it comes air. from uh 
it, what no yeah, I think yeah. I, it's the rapper right it's the yeah well the uh it it, it comes from a rapper but it, it it's from freebasing Oh, free. <laughs> so he would he would he would smoke crack and then act like yeah. So it just means like you you're acting like you're on crack, like you don't give a oh, fuck, okay. right? So just let you know, <laughs> that's, that's where base comes from. <laughs> it's not an earth metaphor unless your face it's is on there. Yeah. It's a it's a free basic crack. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know. But what were we talking about? Uh, what was you, what were you saying about hmm. the toaster? What oh was, yeah, yeah. Um. Just well, you were saying that conservatives are bad at quality control. I guess no, no, I not quality control. I I didn't mean that. I mean just aesthetics. You know, they're not. They haven't really been. I mean, like if you just there's something about um, at least formerly. Uh, I've worked at a lot of agencies. The designers are always more woke than the writers. So I don't know why that is. There's something about like visual talent that lends itself to often being very left wing. I think that's changing because I think now more and more designers are like, well, you know, I'm kind of against the mainstream and therefore I can't be left. I can't be left. So I think that that is changing. But I I will say that uh, the level of talent that I've seen on the left in terms of visual talent is extraordinarily high. Whereas writing talent, they're probably worse than the right. Whereas the right, our visual talent is like hard to find. It's a more difficult. Hmm. Have you, uh, and, and you were also talking about um, like the quality of the product too. Like you were talking about this van uh, man product where it's like very oh, kind right. of cr- the crunchy conservative the guy who wants to be really down to earth like the real ingredients and you see that with rag nationalists with yep. a bat more or less like they're they're fighting against the fake and the gay right they, yep. they want the real the, the seeking for the real yeah it's so funny because it's like all the, i like a lot of these brands are doing the same thing so i have like for example masa chips it's seed oil free chips they make it with beef towel it's the only option or Hestia cigarettes, or you know, there's a beer here uh, that I'm trying to work with called Soonish that is hmm. banana beer, American-made banana beer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so as they're opposed trying to, to corn, like, I guess. These... Yeah, as opposed to corn, right? Okay. So, yeah, I think that um, these new brands. What's great about them? What's great about something like Van Man is it's not just reactive. It's it's fighting with the ingredients itself, and I think that hmm. you're right. That is. You know, remember like the whole food movement, like whole foods, the whole earth catalog. That was a hippie thing that came from the left. And now that's basically the mainstream. Where do we all shop? Whole foods. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's been totally hollowed out. Everything in whole foods now has seed oils in it. It's all crap. It's all like disgusting. So now the new natural or the new whole foods movement is coming from the right. And it's coming from these brands that are kind of anti-globo homo supply chain type brands. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find it. There's always something ironic about the mainstream left uh, to me that they they're all or they they only eat organic, and their child is on puberty blockers. You know, they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll shoot up their kid with estrogen or testosterone depending on the sex of the child, but they'll really you know they're graham crackers. Like it's all organic. It's all no GMO, right? Not not genetically modified. It's just the well, weird like clueless. real fakeness that that yeah. is going on at the same time. They're clueless out. Sorry. 
No, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, do, please. You have headphones on, interrupt away. (laughs) No, I meant, um, all all I was saying is like, they're they're clueless, you know, they don't, they don't actually care um, what's in the products. I mean, because you're right, because they're feeding their kids, you know, what woman in LA who's 22 isn't on SSRIs and birth control? I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like every woman in Los Angeles is walking around just having their immune systems, their brains just like totally pressed down into this strange state. And that's totally normal, you know, and, and no one thinks, oh, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe we shouldn't be feeding people this stuff. And then, yeah, you're right. Oh, the then the package of your, you know, uh, chips says like, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no GMO or, or you know, no uh, grass fed. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. Is there something in- inherently left wing about marketing, about propaganda? Oh, that's funny. That's a good question. Because, and, and I bring that up, I could give you an example. It's if, if you are selling the real, you're pitching the real, right? You're, you're messing it- with it. You're turning it into something that it's not in order to sell it. Yeah. Um, God, that's such a good question. Is is propaganda inherently left wing? I mean, Bernays for sure is is lefty. I mean, you read his stuff and he definitely like echoes. You can tell he's not like based. But um, uh, I don't I mean the Nazis. You know, they were great at it, and then they were very <laughs> right wing. Well, no, I mean artists. when we bring up like it, it's not it's not totally out of the realm of reality that really stupid article that hit like last week where working out is is right far right you know yeah beauty yeah, yeah. is far right the the good the the real and the true the good goodness beauty and and truth are, they're all right wing they're all far right wing right and you see that echoed in in early fascistic rhetoric before they go off the rails they're seeking the new hitler's looking for naturalism he's looking for the real people he's looking for the real but because it's not the real real he goes into into madness so there is like this overture in fascism that's being echoed in the right like this return to the roots this return to fitness this return to individual agency it, it there there's a similarity in in what the leftoids are saying about it the leftoids are saying about what like well, wait wait what do you what do you mean oh uh, like like working out is right wing like what yeah. you know your body taking care of your body you know fasting self-discipline this is all far-right rhetoric this all leads to the gas chamber this all leads to exerting your power what are you going to do with your power if you get really powerful what are you going to do other than oppress other people so therefore you need to any signal of power is is a signal of oppression right but how does that relate to the propaganda question if you're going to sell the real then you're already in the domain of the fake yeah okay i got you I and 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 then the 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 left is already going to say you're fascistic. So so it's already they're already going to filter it out to their audience as, as right wing. So I, I guess it's it's the other side of the question, not just how do you market the real, but then how do you defend the real from the counter? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, how do you keep it real? Keep it real. Um, and this kind of goes to the conquest laws, right? The, the second conquest laws. Anything that's not overtly right wing uh, becomes left wing over mm-hmm. time. Any institution. 
So yeah, inevitably the managers are going to come in and uh, start to screw it up, right? They're going to start to, um, oh, you know, can't we, instead of eggshells, can't we just use <laughs> you know, something a little different and make a ton more profit for all the managers who are, you know, feasting on this carcass? Hmm. Um, yeah, man, how do you stop that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can't, you know, maybe, maybe that's not our job. Maybe our job is just to have, be the spark and, mm. you know, burn, burn what we can and, you know, burn brightly as we can. And then accept <laughs> that eventually the, yeah. you know, the, the people who come after us are gonna, are gonna fuck it up, you know, or screw it up. Um, yeah. Like how do you make this different? Because uh, right, it's like the you know leftoids started the whole food movement to begin with, and look what happened to it. You know, uh, I don't know. That's hmm. a great question. Mm -hmm. I wish I, I should have an answer to that. How do you keep? How do you keep this uh, without turning into the thing you don't want it to turn into? It's mm -hmm. a great question. Uh, maybe a similar question is how do you use the master's tools? Right, like how do you how do you learn about marketing, learn about propaganda, and then make it serve your own values? Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that I've done. So I, I have literally done that. So I had to grit my teeth and be a slave for several years, um, which was really hard. It was like the hardest thing I've ever done it, to, to wake up and go to these marketing jobs. Yeah. You know, Where was and, your and, source and of strength? How did you what? how did you oh, not go crazy? Um, I did go crazy. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I definitely did go crazy. You know, I, I don't, what's the source of strength? Who knows, man? Just desperation, you know, needing money. Mm. It's, that's what, you know, you gotta, you gotta make money. Yeah. And so I don't come from money, so I, I gotta make it somehow. And so that's probably what guided me through it. You know, I mean, like just the, the desperate need and to, uh, but it was so hard, man. It was really, really hard to, to just bite my tongue. I mean, I'm one of these, you know, you ever take one of those personality tests? I'm, I'm a 99% disagreeable. <laughs> So like, you know, being in one of these longhouse hierarchies is like absolute brutal pain for me. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I survived for a few years, for a long time, you know, but half a decade, five years, six years in that world. And yeah, you know, I, uh, there are good things about it. It's cushy. You know, you, you make good money. Um there are nice wins, you know, it's, it feels really good to, to present to a client and ha knock their socks off and like make them, Oh, that's the best presentation we've ever seen. You know, yeah. that feels great. It feels really good that the approval of people can, can feel really good at times. So, yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, but so, so how do you use it against them? So, uh, learning the tools of the master when it comes to marketing is I think, um, really valuable and really something we should all do. And I think that um, it's not hard. It's not hard to do. It's it's really like um, marketing is one of those things where it's not like Mad Men at all. Have you seen Mad Men? Uh, like only seven or eight times. I think only seven. <laughs> I love that show. Yes, <laughs> so, yes you have. Um, all right. So in Mad Men, you have this thing where uh, – it's like Don Draper's the rainmaker, right? Like he's like the guy. In real marketing, it's not like that at all. The the creative is not the king. The in the the king is the person who closes the deals. So in in the real life, Roger Sterling would yeah, be the yeah. the king of the agency. Well, they said that in Don, Mad Men, where the creative is the most important, least important part of advertising. 
What do you, did they say that? Yeah, he says it's the it's the the least imposed, important most important part of the whole shebang. Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think uh, that's so okay. The the one the thing the creative comes in on if you make really good creative and you come out with something and other people see it, that's great because then that brings people to you, right? But the idea of this creative rainmaker in today's world does not exist because first of all, everyone's a woman now. <laughs> so literally, Even the marketing yeah. it, marketing is eighty five percent women. Like eighty, it's overwhelmingly female. So it's not like you're going in there and you know, given the carousel speech and, you know, people are crying. That that doesn't happen. <laughs> Nothing like that happens anymore. Everybody goes, yeah, well, my two cents are, blah, blah, blah. you know, like it's, it's very, um, hmm. the goodness doesn't really win the day as particularly anymore. I think it maybe it used to, but um, that's all ultra dramatized. That whole thing of, of Don. Um, so I think that learning how to capture budgets is really the most important part of marketing that I've learned that myself. And I think that the backbone of the entire media industry is advertising. So I think that in, when we're talking about learning the tools of the master, what we're talking, we're not talking about, I mean, I think it's great to learn Photoshop. It's great to learn how to copyright. All that stuff is good. That's all secondary to learning the economy of of advertising you know learning how the targeted social media post supports the media company and that's all tied to the budget which is dictated by you know all the budgets are dictated by these 40s year old single overweight women who have come up in these agencies in the marketing world and they just get gifts all day from all the agencies, just like, oh, you know, we love you, Colleen. You know, like, here's, you know, come come have dinner with us in L.A. or whatever. And um, they, Colleen is in charge of $100 million of money every, mm-hmm. every year. <laughs> she just gives it to whoever she wants. And so, you know, uh, you got to pay attention to that. And then also, even beyond that, uh, if you've read a book, there's a book called Frenemies. Frenemies was written recently by Ken Oletta or something, uh, who's who's some big journalist. It's actually not a good book. It's it's pretty bad, but it's um, it, <laughs> you keep it, on recommending bad books. I know, but I know. Sorry, <laughs> you have to read this. It's terrible. Dan Brown's <laughs> yeah. like eighteenth novel, like terrible. To, you have to read terrible. it. Terrible. Don't it's, read it. One line. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so uh, Frenemies does a good job of of showing that um, there's a few kind of like deep gatekeepers. In or deep like uh, powerpoints, it, powerpoints, power pressure center. points, yeah, yeah, pressure points, power center, uh, inside the advertising world where the marketing world, and they dictate like everything. Like mm-hmm. it's like one guy, this guy Lawrence Kassan, like literally everything we see in marketing, it's like this one dude for some reason, just mm-hmm. like tells where all the money goes. Luckily, that whole industry is completely dying and it's like it's falling down very rapidly. And so there's a ton of opportunity out there now for for marketing, not based marketing. I'm not going to say go start your own based marketing agency, because, again, it's like it's scrappy, but it's working, but it's scrappy. Uh, but if you want to create a normal marketing agency, sky's the limit for you right now. So, so this old institution or network or system is collapsing. What's it l- turning into? Is it just like, are they breaking apart or is like the actual yeah, infrastructure, how it works? Erotic. That's a really good question. So, so what, how it used to work is the whole agency world used to work on a commission basis. So you would sell all the media buys 
of your entire uh, company. So like all the TV time you were buying, the billboards you were buying, you would have an agency of record. So, you know, um, like Altria Cigarettes, let's go back to them. They would have a, Philip Morris would have an agency of record that did all of their advertising. And that agency would be compensated 15% of all the media buys. So every piece of time they they bought, 15% markup, that's how the agency is funded. That died and it became fee-based. And so fee-based is like hourly, essentially. And so the agency is now billing a certain like uh, number of hours. And you have each line of like creative director, $100 an hour, six hours a day, uh, accounts lead, uh, however much an hour, a certain number of day, hours a day. That's how you sell in this work. Now, um, agencies of record are gone. So that that's completely dead. You used to have one agency for an entire company. Mm-hmm. That's completely gone. Now, now a brand has like 100 agencies. And you have your experiential which is like your events, you know, like your like uh, IMDb yacht at Comic Con, you know, or like your you know yeah. your Cadillac booth at the wherever. You have your an influencer agency, which is like going out to influencers. You have your uh, media agency, which is who buys the media. That's a totally separate thing now, right? That's not even part of the other agencies. You have your creative agency. That's who does the actual like messaging and creation. And then you have all your diversity agencies, your, your, uh, you know, they're, they're, oh yeah. Oh dude. The biggest racket in the entire game is diversity agencies. So I've worked with so many of these. It's just like having it's paid black people in the room. (laughs) That's literally, you're paying an entire agency to just give you a black person to be in the room when you're having creative discussions. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Just like academia. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, right, exactly the same. And it's so bad because it's like, actually, there's nothing preventing black people from being really good creatives. It's just they're terrible because they're all part of these agencies and they don't have any incentive to do anything. So you, it, it just makes you, you know, they show up, but they don't do anything. Hmm. And it's just, this makes it all so much worse. Reparations by because, Sinecure. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Sinecure. Right. So, wow. yeah. So the, you're, you're, so is that what you just explained? Is that the thing that's collapsing? Diversity. These no, are, that's where okay. we are now. That's the, where we the are. The things that are that are collapsing are the uh, the traditional agencies, which okay. are the big, you know, the big boy, uh, Shiat Day, um, Wyden Kennedy, uh, you know, Deutsch, the, these big, these huge agencies that. Uh, have one big client basically. Mm-hmm. And so how, how does this new um, like this much more complex landscape, what's the field of opportunity there or how does that tell us about how propaganda is operating now? What do you mean exactly? Uh, if, if this is how these brands, these companies, and I'm sure the democratic party, the Republican party are operating in order to get what they want, which is either customers or voters, whatever, I don't know the difference between that. Like, what is that telling us about like how thought is being shaped by these different interest groups or by these, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe because they still do because creative still does orchestrate everything. Maybe creatives where the messaging, the propaganda is being, uh, uh, dispersed through all these other organs, you know, experience and what he said, influencers, media buys, all this stuff. 
Well, it's actually a great question. I wrote an article exactly answering this question in uh, American Mind. It was called We Must See as the Means of Propaganda. And <clears throat> yeah. so I, I one time went up to this was for I'm not going to say the name, but it was for a very big agency, one of the biggest and a very big client, one of the biggest. It, it was a bank. And we were doing pitching ideas for their uh, uh, like giving campaign. They're like, uh, you know, like holiday giving campaign. And <clears throat> so they invited all the different agencies up to a single room. Right. So it was. Hmm. This was the main creative agency, but I was there. I was part of a an influencer agency at the time. There was an experiential. There was oh, there's also ESG agencies, right? So there's like your your charity agency. <laughs> so disgusting. Their ESG agency. There was their woman agency. There was their black agency. There's also Hispanic agencies because they're Spanish language, you know, Spanish mm -hmm. language agencies. Mm -hmm. So we were all there. There was probably like sixty of us in a room, hmm. and. Uh, there was this very typical creative director. I call them hype dads. Yeah. There was this very typical hype dad, uh, the, the, you know, graying. And he was actually really good. That's the thing. Like, he was actually a, a very good creative. Like, he had really good ideas. He was prompting us. You know, he was kind of, like, challenging us. Like, we were all throwing ideas on the wall here. And, you know, we were pitching our ideas. It was really, like, a great creative thing, right? But then he was guiding us. And he clearly, like, really had a, a clear sense of, like, where we were going. And then he did the craziest thing I've ever seen. He was like, all right, we're sending three ideas to the client. Everybody in the room now vote on your favorite ideas. Oh, wow. Okay. And everybody went around and voted, and those were the ideas he presented to the client. Okay. And I'm like, you just ruined, <laughs> like, you just had this amazing creative thing, and you just completely ruined it, because now you're going to, oh, the, the best idea is obviously not going to be the one that, like, you know, all of these schmucks in this room think is the best. That, that's just, like, not how it works, mm -hmm. you know? It, it's, it's, like, the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Any idea is not going to be good if you're trying to like do, do it by democracy. Right. I mean, it's like a, a camel is a horse made by committee. It's yeah. like making creative by committee is terrible. You need a single vision, right? Yeah. That's what you have to have. So I do think uh, the reason why the quality of all of the, the, the quality of propaganda has gotten so bad this last Super Bowl, by the way, everyone in the advertising world, even the most woke people agree worst year of advertising ever in the Super Bowl. It's completely terrible. Why? Like, because it was all rehashed or it was even worse than rehashed? Everybody's afraid to do anything. You know, we're post Trump woke, right? So nobody is doing these extreme, crazy woke ads. But all, every one of these agencies now works on the basis I was just saying, yeah. right? You can't have a man with one idea. There's a great uh, Ogilvy quote where he says, no agency of any consequence is anything besides the shadow of a single man. Yeah. So now you have all these longhouse agencies that are making every decision based on voting, you know, a bunch of women voting on the best idea, which is no, no good idea can possibly survive that. Right. Yeah. So now you're just in this world where, yeah, it's all rehashed. It's all these same stupid celebrities oh here's three recognizable celebrities like doing a funny dance you know mm -hmm. and it's just total garbage um so i think the quality is getting so low that um yeah people are starting to realize it and i think that that is a function of this newly democratic that's to, to answer your question like that's how you that's the uh, meaning of the this patchwork system is just really mediocre like okay. very mediocre yeah work. okay
Um, I I want you to define the longhouse for people who are outside of your oh, okay, discourse. Okay. Yeah, sorry. And and then also like define it and then show uh, like your personal experience because you've used that with regard to this industry. So how does it actually operate in the business? So define it and then like like sure. your your experience. So the best longhouse article is written by my my friend Lomez. Lomez. Lomas, yeah, he's the man. And he wrote a fantastic article in First Things about what the Longhouse is. The Longhouse refers to a proto-civilizational structure that every society in the world basically came from originally, which is a giant house. Literally, it's a Longhouse. And it's a society in which women are in control. It's a panopticon because you're in the house. Everything you're doing is being watched it's on. kind of a like harem world where there's like one man and his like 17 wives dictate the, you know, dictate the governance of this house. And the, the notion is that this is primitive society, right? And so real society needs more clear hierarchies. It needs uh, mm. the freedom of individual labor and the freedom of, of privacy and everything like that. Right. So. The idea, to put it ultra simply, is that the modern workplace has become a longhouse because now instead of, I mean, just look at it even physically, right? The open office plan overseen by the HR women, that's a longhouse basically, right? And all of your actions are being recorded and your behaviors are being um, evaluated yeah. for whether they're problematic or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And... Marketing is the most longhouse industry there is. By, by default far. or because by something inherent? Just how women just go into market. They uh -huh. they like marketing. Like women, you know, you have all these women graduating from college. What do they do? They go into marketing. So, um, it's a very very longhouse industry to begin with, and then, uh, so like yeah, my personal experiences with it, it's like what I will say of a longhouse environment. I worked at one really, really severe one, which was uh, pharma marketing, and pharma marketing is doubly female because it's like women go into health a lot too. So it's like health marketing is like this was like ninety five percent women, literally. And what I noticed is when you get that many women controlling everything, the the product of the community is the community. So you're they like they didn't really care at all about the stuff we were making. The stuff we were making was completely secondary to your behavior because their product was the agency itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they 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 viewed their jobs as creating a comfortable job for everyone to exist in, right? Yeah. And these women, I swear to God, they, they worked like an hour a day. They, they showed up at 10. They had like two meetings. They were logged off. Everyone in the agency was logged off by 3 p.m. Hmm. And, um, you know, the, 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 the quality of the work was so bad. Like I had people turn in stuff that was like I had a guy. So you're asking somebody for taglines, right? So imagine this. Like you say, give me five taglines. And instead of giving you five separate taglines, the guy would give me oh, like five the cure for the, the common same cold. tagline yeah. with different words The cure words for the common breakfast. 
the cure Wait, for what? the uh, Mad Men, the cure for the common breakfast, the cure for the common cold, the cure for the common yes, car. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, right. Yeah, it was like five of the same thing, it, just with one word change. I'm like, that's not five taglines. That's one tagline. Yeah. So like just the, the sheer horrible. And, you know, I think that uh, the longhouse is just such a perfect metaphor because it's it's so true and we all feel it. We've all anybody who's worked in the mainstream world, you know what this is like and, you know, the the hr call you know like can you come can you come by the hr we office need to and talk. talk about yeah. yeah can you can you next time maybe just don't talk that way to sarah because you really freaked her out when you said you didn't like her idea even though that's your job <laughs> you know yeah like that kind of thing hmm. yeah well okay so how how does one conquer I mean, do you, do you just become you just become the guy with seventeen wives that you're constantly micromanaged by you're the harem? You're the hype dad, right? So you become the hype dad. So your 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 coolness is completely contingent on your appearance, and then your ability to navigate a bunch of women's conflicting opinions about something. Well, so the the thing about the hype dad is the hype dad is grandfathered in. So he, the hype dad could not exist in today's world he couldn't make it up the chain the yeah, the, okay. old, the hype dads exist because they're uh dinosaurs you know that they, they they're they've been grandfathered in and everyone else got pruned out so it's all women belief beneath them and they're just kind of like floating around okay you know, like in their job yeah so you can't there is no possible way that a man of any real ideas can climb the longhouse and the reason for that is the same reason why women can't compete on a male basketball team a man cannot play the social game as well as a woman it's impossible we just don't have it in us you know like we, we're not able to do it well we if you take a performance enhancing drug like progesterone or something i guess yeah. <laughs> or adderall right i mean adderall kind of is that uh yeah, no, we just can't compete. You know, a man cannot do the, uh, we just can't do the social engineering necessary to, to okay. win in that environment. Okay. Uh, side question is Dylan Mulvaney, whether not, not intentionally, but like the, the ultimate, the only way that a man could be risen up. I, if you look at his, yeah. how he captured media so quick, he, there's this iconic image of Drew Barrymore, like, like, bowing down to him and i guess apparently she does that to arl oh, i yeah, guess yeah, but there's yeah. this very like he's so tiny and he's this like beast yeah, and, and she's asking for his forgiveness or his blessing or something like dylan mulvaney like he ended up on the bud light cam because this is the image of what the longhouse wants men to be or or yes. how a man be, is able to to game this and become the the king of that particular yeah. mountain I think that is it. I think that's exactly it, man. What I think it? it's a it's a really horny, really Machiav Machiavellian guy, and you know this is how he wins. You know he he sees this is his path to yeah. to power and victory, and I think uh, he's merciless about it. I mean, I was I think there's two ways to handle this world, right? If you're sensitive, if you're not sensitive, it's not as hard. But if you're a sensitive person in today's world. You either have to utterly reject it, which is what you and I are doing, or you have to just like, you know, 
give it to give it to me, daddy. You know, like just you have to you have to like go all in. You know, you got to be like, I'm gay. I'm a total cuck. You know, I love Star Wars. I love my SSRIs. I'm just, you know, lay it on me. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think those are basically your options. You know, you, you kind of got to pick one. Hmm. OK, so if if the way out is not through, you can't reform the longhouse. Let's say you have to go alternative economy. No, style. you cannot reform. The, the, the longhouse is incapable of reform. There's no... This is what I say to everybody. Show me one female-dominated institution in the history of the world that has produced anything good. One. Uh, preschools. Okay, so that's actually that's actually a good call. Uh, what, what, uh, what's her name? Montessori, right? Montessori. She's a woman. So, okay, fine. Maybe preschools, but... Even that, was that women that were, did women come up with preschools? Uh, they run it. I mean, I worked in preschool for a while. It's, it's definitely the longhouse. And the product yeah. was, the product was getting through the day. The product was taking care of other human beings. The product wasn't a product. It was a human being. It, it was the institution, right? Okay. So fa- fair. Yeah. That's a great answer. So one that is a product, not, not that's like an environment, but like a product in history. Yeah. Anyway, maybe there is an example. I, individual women are fully capable of making great shit, right? They, you know, the Anne Rand, they write, they can make amazing stuff. I'm not saying the problem is women. It's a female dominated institution that that's the issue and a female dominated institution cannot it is literally physically impossible for them to make something a product that is extraordinary okay any film ever that has been all women that, that this has existed before like a few movies recently they're 100 percent terrible and again, this is nothing to do with women i'm not saying women are bad i'm not saying they're inferior you're, I'm just so saying, you're not talking about american psycho you're talking about Ghostbusters remake. I'm talking about uh, what was the movie that Olivia Wilde just directed? Oh yeah, where she tried to take down Jordan Peterson. I didn't watch that. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like, then uh, was terrible to her other female employees. Ironically enough, that's what I mean. So again, like a female documentarian, Alex Lee Moyer. Uh, what uh, you know, um, uh, Milius. Amanda Millius is a great filmmaker. Alex C. Moore is a great filmmaker. They, they can totally make these movies. I'm talking about like an institution, you know, okay. like a, an institution that is female dominated is a, is a different beast than a, a female artist, you know? Okay. So anyway, my, my, my point is that, yes, there is no possible way to, to reform the longhouse. It's just impossible. It's never going to happen. They are, they're never, they will never allow you up the chain. If you're a problematic man of any kind, and unfortunately, problematic men are the only ones who have ever made anything good, <laughs> you know, ever. Hmm. So, so you know, it's just impossible. So, the only thing to do is is parallel. You okay. know, the only thing you can do is is make your make your own stuff on the side. So, speaking of parallel, how do you know a good idea is a good idea? How do you, how do you cultivate that seeing that sight that executive function? That is a friggin' great question. How do you know an idea is a good one? What does it make you feel? So, yeah, like this is a, a big point of contention in my world. So there are creatives who have this um, tactic of you have to sit in the room for days and then you will know, you know, when the good idea comes, you will know. <laughs> I don't believe that. I mean, I understand people believing that. But I don't think that that's how it works. For me, it's a building process. And and the thing that is good oftentimes 
is not exactly it, it kind of accretes right it, it doesn't just uh it accretes into the good thing it, like it, it builds you build up to the thing and then you get this little like blip above the water like a little iceberg and then it goes back down and i think um you know i'm i'm not the greatest uh judge necessarily of amazing um like primordial work you know i think like uh there are definitely people that are better at like building an idea into something that really resonates with everybody. Mm -hmm. But if, if you look at the great work of all time, I mean, just do it right. Greatest line ever. Uh, that's, they completely half ass that. That's the, that's the final words of uh, last words of Gary Gilmore, the serial killer. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, he was about to be killed and he said, just do it. And they, you know, the, the as the story goes, Wyden Kennedy had nothing going into the meeting and they read that and they were like, Let's just throw it on the thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Nike, uh, all these things um, were not like immediately recognized as groundbreaking, you know? So I think that the yeah. question of what's good, there's really no like, you got to just go with what feels radical and what feels true. Hmm. Um, to me, my personal tactic, not everybody is like this, but what I always tell my clients is it has to bubble up truthfully from who you are. So it has to be true to what, why you are really here. Like, why are you actually really here? Not like why you think you are here, you know, what, not what, what, what you think you should say, but like, you know, what are you really creating this business for? Right. Um, you was in the is, marketing team or you is in the, the, the product the creator. No, no, the, the founder. So I always tie it to, to the desire and the will of the founder, right. Okay. The, of the, the, the singular vision of the main person that is yeah. doing it. Uh, an example is, uh, so Twitter, right. Twitter in the, in the, the, uh, early stages of Twitter, it used to say, um, something like, what are you doing? Right. I think now it says what's happening. Uh, you know, that's the prompt. There was a fight in between in Twitter between Jack Dorsey and Evan Williams in the beginning because Jack Dorsey wanted Twitter to be all about like what you were doing, like share your breakfast, like give an update on your day. And Evan Williams wanted it to be all about like news, like the world, like what's happening around you more. And there was a like a battle internally between them and Evan Williams won. He won the battle. And then thereafter, Twitter really did become more about, you know, Instagram's kind of where you like post about your breakfast. You don't really I mean, you can do that on Twitter, but Twitter's much more about like sharing the news of, of what's happening. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think that stuff like that is what is good. You know, what is good is should really be tied to the vision and the reason uh, of why this thing is existing. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I would say. And so when I, I, this is might be, hopefully you have a non-proprietary example of you working with a client or the process of working with a client to discover that. And to, to get closer to that, I get that. That's just a fascinating, if that's your perspective, then you do have to 
have a deep empathetic line or, or be able to really see into the core, like at least see the direction of the core, like help people see the core to define it for you. Right. That, that's a really personal relationship potentially between you and the person that you're taking to market or marketing. Well, not necessarily right? because, because it can also come from the product itself. Right. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily like, you know, there are plenty of products around that have great campaigns that aren't even in the hands of the founder anymore. Right. Like, I mean, my favorite one, probably my favorite advertising campaign of all time is uh, the most interesting man in the world, which was the Dos Equis campaign. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? It became a super meme. It's still still around. Oh, it's huge. The guy yeah, I mean, with the beard. That, that, yeah, I don't that always campaign, X, but when I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that campaign increased the revenue of that company by 10 times in one year. Hmm. <laughs> so that's the power of advertising. But so take, okay, so the creative process when we're building these ideas, it works on something called insights. Mm. So insights is where you're sitting in a room with your fellow creatives and you're coming up with universal truths. So universal truths about your brand, about your target audience, about anything. And a universal truth is like a, something would be like a comedian saying, what's the deal with this thing? And you're like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that before. That yeah. is a, That is true, you know? That's like what an insight is. So let's take Dos Equis. Dos Equis, they have this information that, uh, you know, it's this random beer. It's this random Mexican beer. Nobody drinks it. Nobody really knows what it is. Tiny, tiny bit of market share. Um, and who drinks beer? Men. Men drink beer. So they're sitting around and they're saying, okay, well, we have this weird beer and we have men. What are some insights that we can say about like any of this? And one of the insights they come up with is about what men want. So do men want to be the richest guy in the world generally? Like, you know, maybe a couple of them. Do they want to be the handsomest guy in the world? Like, no, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to be Zoolander. <laughs> like, that's not, mm. We don't care about that. Uh, what we do want is to be interesting. Right. Every man in the world wants to be the guy at the party who's telling the good story. None mm -hmm. of us don't want to be that guy. You know, like that's that's in our minds. We want to be the raconteur at the story being like, yeah, and then I fought the bear. And so, you know, th every man wants to be interesting. You know, like so that's a great insight. Right. That's a universal truth. So they say, all right, well, how do we do a campaign on this? We say drinking. Dos Equis, this weird beer, will make you interesting. You know, mm -hmm. that's the strategy of the whole campaign. It's a great insight, right? And it's true because it's like if you're drinking a weird beer that nobody else drinks, it, it's kind of this weird esoteric thing that does kind of make you interesting, right? I mean, it does like it, it, it's a talking point. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes, okay, well, how do we, you can't just go into a thing and say Dos Equis is interesting, right? That, you, that can't be your line. You have to dress it up. So that's called the concept. The concept is the clothes that you put on your insight and your, your uh, strategy in order to like communicate it. Mm -hmm. So they dress it up by creating the most interesting man in the world, right? And the most interesting man in the world, what does he drink? Of course he drinks Dos Equis. Yeah, nothing else. So. That's how you that's how you build a campaign. And I, I again, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, why is that has nothing to do with the founder of Dos Equis, yeah, right? It's yeah. just about the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a way to go back to what we were uh, discussing about bringing truth to market. How do you 
I guess with with based advertising, you're looking for, or I guess you're pitching yourself to certain type of company, like you were saying with the the real ingredients or like these different companies that are coming out and they're kind of making a statement somehow inherently with their uh, with their product. And then what what are you adding to that, or how do you how do you know when it's how do you do the opposite of what the longhouse is doing aesthetically and not the opposite in reactionary point? But so what we did for Hestia was Hestia is a very edgy cigarette brand. First cigarette brand in, in 15 years approved by the FDA. And uh, so I, I tend to believe that, as I said, just do it came from the last words of a serial killer like perfume. All great lines kind of come from something like dark. Not mm. all, but a lot of them have like a dark core. Yeah. Like something bad at their center, so uh, cigarettes. <laughs> we you know we noticed that a lot of people like hot girls were smoking the cigarettes, right? And we know that people smoke instead of eat. So we found uh, you know there's a line in like the anorexia community, and I'm not saying this is good at all. I'm not supporting this, but it just exists, which is um, uh, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Right. Which is just like, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, in, in being ultra edgy for Hestia, because the whole goal is to be ultra edgy, because also you can't advertise. Right. So you have to be edgy because you have to have your memes go viral on their own because you can't do paid advertising as a cigarette brand. Yeah. So the line we came up with was uh, tastes as good as skinny feels. Mm hmm. <laughs> and that and that was and you married that. What was the concept? How did you marry that to the product to the brand yeah well it's just it's easy you know it's beautiful people beautiful people smoking cigarettes that's all you need huh. yeah yeah and because cigarettes are cool you know no matter what no matter what cigarettes are always going to be edgy and cool no matter they what they good. try and do yeah yeah they're great dangerous cigarettes are awesome um anyway so so just as a i think that uh, the delicious tacos also had a funny t tweet about that <laughs> why doesn't there just be a I, uh, why can't there be a beer ad that just said says like get wasted you know like like why can't there be a beer ad that says this gets you really drunk like yeah. get drunk <laughs> you know like yeah. why doesn't that exist we can say that there's nothing stopping us from saying go get really drunk but of course like this goes back to this dissonance what does every beer ad say drink don't drink too much drink responsibly which they don't want you to drink responsibly they want you to fucking drink 25 of these things you yeah. know but they're lying for some weird reason why are they doing this so i think what base marketing is is returning the truth you know if you're a cigarette brand stop pretending like you don't want people to skip meals and smoke your cigarettes you do want them to do that so you know if you're a beer brand stop pretending like you don't want people to get trash on your beer you do want them to get trashed on your beer you know like don't lie about it so I think that's what based marketing is. It's like returning the soul and the hmm. truth to, to what yeah. you're saying. Well, there's there's also an issue of liability. This is just what I'm thinking. If like all of the, of if Corona came out and said, uh, get crunk, you know, or whatever. And so then somebody does that, sue. some teen, yeah, somebody's going to sue. So they, I guess the, the longhouse wins because it has risk aversion in its core, right? It doesn't want to yeah, be. The cult, the cult of safetyism, right? Yeah. That's what it, Lomez called it, the cult of safetyism. But that's bullshit because – and you know how you know it's bullshit? Because when it comes to far ultra-left crazy ideas, they're completely fine with it. They're, they're, they're totally fine with inciting riots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Riots are dangerous, very dangerous. Many people die in them. 
So the excuse, oh, but we might get sued, they don't really mean that. They, they're saying that because they're obsessed with the cult of safetyism. Mm. But as soon as it suits their political purpose to do something dangerous, they are 100 percent willing to, to mm -hmm. throw that all out the window, you know? Hmm. So why did you start the carousel um, as not just as a writing project, but as an interviewing project? What sparked that? Um, well, so that actually, uh, um, all right. So about a year ago, okay. So 2017, I had my first foray into the right wing, um, uh -oh. as like an out outward right wing person, you know, that was after Trump. I voted for Trump. I got fired from an agency because I voted for Trump and, um, why and did I you vote for Trump? Up. Why? Yeah. I just, it was the obvious choice. You huh. know, I mean, it was just so obvious that, I mean, you want to vote for Hillary Clinton? Well, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, but I just wonder uh, no, because I, Martin, I Trump it. is a marketer, right? First and foremost. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, kind of like he's really not a marketer. He's just a, you know, he's just, I, I don't know if he's a marketer, but, but uh, that's not why I voted for him. I voted for him because I like him. I honestly, I, I just like I like him. Like I'm one of those people who just kind of huh. likes the guy. Okay. I think he's funny. I think yeah. he's hilarious. You know, and I think he's, you know, he's a class defector. He he defected from his class. He you know he went against them, and yeah. I really love that. I love that he was like, you know what, like these people are trash, and I, I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you these people are horrible, and you know, I I really liked that. So, I mean, I was one of these Bernie Bernie to Trump. You know, yeah, Bernie. Yeah, like I might have been of, like that too. But I don't oh, discuss nice. politics on my channel. Yeah. <laughs> did you, were you Trump in 2016? No, I did Gary Johnson I, <laughs> for some <laughs> fucking reason. <laughs> um, so I start anyway, so 2016, I got fired from this very promising uh, senior copywriter job at a big agency. Huh. And I believe, it, I mean, it was pretty obvious that it was because I voted for Trump. Um, and, uh, so after that, I got hired by Curtis Yarvin to do some marketing or like branding for Urbit. So that was my first like foray into right wing anything. And not that Urbit is right wing anymore, but, you know, Curtis obviously is. So um, at that time, I had had some successful articles, not as, you know, I'd written for Vice. I wrote for LA Weekly for a long time. So I've always been a writer. Mm. Um and I, I got hired by Medium then to like just do some kind of like travel writing type stuff. And I had a, a couple big articles. And I, I reached a certain like watermark and then I got scared. I, I freaked out. I was like, no, I don't want to get pigeonholed as, you know, I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to not have a job. I, and so I deleted everything. I deleted my Twitter. I deleted like all the controversial articles I'd published that were like had a lot of hits and stuff on Medium. And I went just full bore into the mainstream marketing world, you know, and I just kept my mouth shut basically for, you know, four years. Mm. And, um, yeah, like five years. And then I, uh, to make a long story really short, lots of ups and downs. I basically a year ago, just over a year ago, like last June, I once and for all, or maybe April, I once and for all decided I'm going on my own. I'm, I'm going to come out. I'm coming out. <laughs> like, I'm coming out as fully right wing. Like I'm not going to pretend anymore. I'm not going to ever lie i'm not gonna like try and hide the truth like i'm just gonna straight up just tell people you know i'm gonna say like this is who i am 
you don't want to hire me, don't hire me. And the carousel uh, is my foray back into writing as a writer, you know, but just this new incarnation is me um, just being open, you know, not trying to hedge. Before, I was always trying to kind of like toe the line. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not actually writing. I'm just asking questions, you know, Hmm. but now I'm like just straight up being honest. And the Carousel podcast was honestly Delicious Tacos gave me the idea. He was like, dude, like just publish a podcast every week you know <laughs> it'll, it'll just keep a, a slow blip of of content coming out mm-hmm. and that's really all it is it, it, it's a good biz dev tool it helps bring people in for will i get to meet great people i don't think i'm a, i mean like i'm not like you like you are a fantastically good like a plus uh podcaster like for me mm-hmm. the writing for me is my number one and the podcasting is just kind yeah. of like yeah well it's like meat for the for the animals, yeah. you know, feed the animals. But what you're doing is you're creating an archive of snapshots into people that are connected, like loosely connected around this kind of dissidence, whatever the sphere is. Yeah. So you're investigating that. And I, I'm wondering like what you're, what do you see? What are the patterns? What is the, what is the character of this community? If it is a community or this loose association of thinkers, writers, dissidents weirdos rebels it's yeah. kind of weird alliance what what are you seeing there and, and what why do you why are you attracted do you feel at home there and why oh yeah dude oh my god <laughs> i i feel like i dude i searched for so long in my life to like find my people <laughs> it took me 35 years yeah i mean literally it took me 35 friggin years of constant striving and being disappointed and feeling uncomfortable. But then, you know, I've always been very lucky in making friends. It's very easy for me to make friends. I've always had a shit ton of friends. Um, That's like one thing I got really lucky in in life. But most of them I didn't like. (laughs) Like, I, I don't mean to say I didn't like. Most of them I just didn't really connect with, right? I mean, we were always like kind of missing this thing, right? And when I just went full, like, you know, when I went full into this, it was like, oh, man, like, this is it. Like, I figured it out. <laughs> like my, I figured out, like, who my people are. And yeah. now, man, it just feels so good. It feels so good to have just really found the people and found the purpose. And, like, you know, I love our guys. I love the people in our scene. They're so cool. They're so smart. They're, like, really successful people, really, really smart, like, quality people every now and then <laughs> you know you get somebody who you're like oh okay like you you belong on the internet like, like <laughs> you probably like you know you shouldn't necessarily like meet in public but uh i would say for the most part i'm incredibly impressed you know i meet our guys they went to crazy schools they're in, they've read every book you know they're like freaks they're like freaks they're, they're truly like you know i don't i'm not superior but they're very talented, very, uh, you know, extraordinary people, I think, for the yeah. most part, who who have found us here. And it, it, it almost seems fake. It's like sometimes I'm like, man, am I just like, is everybody in the FBI that I'm talking to? <laughs> because it just seems like so perfect. Like, you know, it's just huh. weird that there are so many other people that feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is the, is there a, is there a similarity? Is there, is there um, a direction 
or a side or not in a necessarily like a tribal narrow fighting sense, but cause I'm really, I'm really curious about the dissidents cause there's a lot of energy. I just feel like this energy, I feel this spark going on. I feel yeah. like, oh, I yeah. feel this, this, this refreshing vibe, but I'm always kind of looking, looking like, what do you guys, what do you guys want? What are you looking for? What are you aiming at? What is the, is there kind of a unifying kind of thing or is it just happenstance? You guys are all outside smoking on the, 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 the back porch of the long house. Is that what, what I'm feeling here? Like what's the goal of all this? You mean? Is there, yeah, is there, is there emergent something? Lomez is doing the, the something with this. The goal is the destruction passage. of Globo, Globo Homo. That's okay. Okay. And Globo Homo, I mean, Globo homogeneity, you know, like, as I said in the Vanity Fair piece that covered me, and I was actually hanging out with James Pogue last night. I don't, I don't care if somebody has sex with dudes. I mean, like, I don't really care. Like I am, you know, I don't think you should do that. I think it's, you know, not good. It's not like healthy for you to do, but it's like, if you want to do it, I've plenty, you know, if so, if you want to be gay, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like that, that's not what I mean by global homo. I mean, global homo as in this enemy that we know we have, we know it's there. We know, you know, trying to say that it's not real is, is fake. And we know that the, the, the powers that be the power, the, the, uh, you know, the halls of power have been taken over by this disease, <laughs> you know, and I think uh, you see it, you see the results of the disease. And I think that our purpose is to destroy that thing. And I think that the way that we're destroying it is by creating a counterculture. You know, I mean, that that's what we're doing. We're creating a, an alternative culture and we're creating an alternative culture where men mostly can come and, uh, not have to participate in, in slavery, you know? And, and so that's, I think what we're building. Hmm. What about the, what about the, um, you know, so there's this Overton window and like you guys are dilating it maybe, or you're just operating outside of it. And, and uh, the hope is that you'll get enough Dilate. good yeah. gravity to create like kind of its own thing. But there's, you know, like the, I don't know. I want to beat around the bush, but like, like the social issues that Globo Homo pretends to represent, like they're going to end sexism, end racism. I don't know if they care about classism or they can on paper, but they kind no, of they give overtures to it. They sacrifice that. They don't care about classism. Yeah. They they can't care about classism because that would destroy their balkanization, right? Yeah. How how does how does a group like this uh, regulate its behaviors? How does it forestall, I don't know, Us. Patriot front wannabes? Yeah. You mean how do they, how do they fight us or how do they fight just normal? No, how how does how does use how does your us like regulate oh. itself like like oh, keep yeah. itself in well, check? You already yeah. asked that question, which was like, how do you not become the thing you're? You know, how, what what principles do you have inside? Yeah, what are those principles? So yeah. Right, that you don't become the thing that you hate, right? That's the God. It's and that's the hardest thing. I mean, that that's the the outsider coming in. Uh, look at every artistic movement ever; they all get hollowed out. You know, they all get purchased. That they all get turned into a product and sold back. Right. Hmm. So how do we not? How does that not happen? <laughs> you know, like how do we not? You know, this is uh, how do this is we all joke about this. Like how do we not? You know, oh. 
take the based class from, you know, Harvard that, you know, and then buy your based magnesium pills from, you know, like, like, how does that, how do we make it so that that doesn't happen? Oh man, I wish, I wish there was a clear answer to that because I think that in this shorter term battle, the shorter term battle against this particular breed of communists or, or whatever you want to call them, we will win this one. And we'll win it because everyone hates these people. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's they're selling something that is so abhorrent to to like every per- normal person with eyes. So this will be, we will win this one. There's going to be another one though later that it will be much harder. And so, how do we, if we're serious, how do we grow into something? Uh, viable and 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 how do we grow into something that's not horrible you know yeah Yeah. uh man because you have to capitalize on the ambition of young men like how do you do it you know how do you yeah right how how do you uh stay true i mean i think the people who did this the best right were the founding fathers of america i mean they they were so completely committed to answering this exact question (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you're asking right i mean that's essentially what their entire project was was how do we outthink the uh tendency of rebels to become tyrants Mm -hmm. you know like how do we outthink that and they did it you know they figured it out it just unfortunately it, it you know, nothing can last forever. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. eventually enough wounds get cut that, you know, Civil yeah. Rights Act, right? I mean, that was basically the end. So, I mean, how do we do that? You know, how do we make this a project of integrity? And I do worry about that, actually, with our guys, because our guys definitely are so angry, you know, that they're mm-hmm. not really thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not. They're much more like the French Revolution than the American Revolution, I think. You know, it, it, they're they're more concerned with being the tip of the spear than they are with like, what do you do once you win? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good project. Li- you know, the James Lindsay camp, and he's a friend of mine. Um, I mean, we have a lot of interactions, and and he he offers this return to a to a kind of a civil religion that's light or like kind of like a classical liberalism and that's a viable idea and a lot of the parents that are kind of fighting against the school system a lot of the normies are on board with that like like let's just try to let's go back in that direction um if if your group or people in your group are soured on that, and I, I see that, and I, I wait try soured to on what exactly? Sorry, uh, classical liberalism, or, oh, yeah, or yeah, like exactly. the, they'll they'll argue that it's just dialing back the clock, and it will just get back. And then then you kind of have the Nietzscheans over there, and then you have the Tradcaths, yeah, kind of okay. thing. So you, you see these fault lines, these goings back and forth. But without some sort of religious vision, or just some sort of vision, which would be identical to a religion, some sort of founding mythos, or yeah that direction that all of the brilliant minds, the thought leaders are can find commonality over. And then a a consistent, I guess, branding, like thinking brand, like a consistent vocabulary for communicating this that is tied to something that does have at its core values like that, that are stabilized, that, that accentuate um, some form of compromise, some form of, politicking some form of artfulness um 
I don't see what else you have. Like you either have a cult, you have to have some sort of religious overarching umbrella. And, and by religious, I mean, not just like going to church, I'm like a a mythology, you know, like a whole thing. Do you see that, that, uh, emerging? Are you curious about that? And especially as a writer and a marketer? Sure, sure. So, do you know who Charles Haywood is? Yeah, Charles Haywood. Yeah. Yeah. So, Haywood has a, a a thing called foundationalism. Yeah, and he has a foundationalist manifesto, and that's an attempt to do what you're what you're saying. It's like principles. It's a, you know first principles type of thing. Yeah. Um, and you know you mentioned the Nietzscheans. I'm a huge Nietzschean, so like I, thus begs Zarathustra. Zarathustra to me is the best book ever written by by a person. I mean, maybe the Bible, obviously, first, but then <laughs> then Nietzsche. Um, so I do think that we're Nietzscheans, right? So we are we're vitalists, we're Nietzscheans. We do have that as a core tenet. The problem is that Nietzscheism as a core structural value is not, it's, not workable, right? <laughs> doesn't lend itself to to community. Yeah. You can't right. You can't. I mean, you can be at war all the time, or or are you, you know, or or like, how do you actually build your community, and what do you build it on? And I think, I mean, like, I'm gonna cheat and say, uh, I'm gonna cheat and betray my people and say, like, I'm an American, you know, like, so I I will take the classical uh, liberalism. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that ticket, and I'll agree with you guys that that's where we should go. You know, we should go back to the Constitution. You know, it's not that hard. They did a great job. It worked really well. Again, we destroyed it with the Civil Rights Act, but we we can go back. You know, like if we can get rid of the Civil Rights Act, I still think we have a great system in place. And those guys did the work. You know, those guys all had read every single philosopher. They spoke 17 languages. None of us are doing that. You Mm. know, so like, I think we we just we in that aspect, I will say return, you know, with a V is fine. Like, let's just go back to the Constitution Mm. I think that that can be a, a great core uh, structure, and you know, I'm not a racist. I'm not a. I'm not an ethnostate guy. No. I don't. I wouldn't want to live in the ethnostate personally. <laughs> so, so you know, like the guys who want the ethnostate. But what does the Constitution say? Really, the ethnostate guys go make your ethnostate. Yeah. You know, do it. Like, it, like I'm. Not, it shouldn't be illegal. You should be able to discriminate all friggin' day long. Hmm. You know, that's that's what America is. Hmm. So I think the ethnostate guys should be able to go make the ethnostate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be there, but yeah. mm-hmm. what are the emerging? What do you see in the future? Like, uh, you know, there's a Gretzky quote I think about sometimes in like trying to reconfigure what I'm doing with my channel. Gretzky, like Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, the hockey guys. Like he doesn't go where the puck is; he goes where the puck's going to be. Oh yeah. And I, I feel like something in in your domain. That's where the puck's going. Um, so I'm wondering, like, since you're there, like, where is it heading? Like, what are the topics or what are, what's the interesting, oh, like what the questions that are being asked or the conversations that are going to be had? Let me think about that for a second. What's coming up? My mind goes immediately to, do you know what Dime Square is? Dime Square? No. So Dime Square is this neighborhood of it's a little movement happening in New York City. So you know Red Scare, obviously. Red Scare, yeah. And Times Square. Yeah, the Red Scare girls? Yeah. No, da- so Red Scare is the podcast with Anakachian and Dasha. Mm-hmm. So 
they are associated with this scene in lower Manhattan in a place called Dime Square where there's a playwright who writes these plays and like everybody comes and kind of participates in the plays and it's become this like very edgy literary scene Mm -hmm. and our guys are very involved in it. So it's, it's like, you know, edgy, it's Peter Thiel money. It's like, uh, Hmm. it's kind of a literary like, uh, moment happening there. Mm -hmm. And I've been to a bunch of parties there and everything like that. I think that that, movement i think that our like the the uh the music of our people the you know the song of our people is writing Mm. so i think we're writers first and foremost like lomez passage press i think that that's where we're like whittling away at writing so we have bap we have delicious tacos and i think that where things are headed is that's about to like explode like, I, I think our guys as writers are going to be like, in 10 years, we will be like the guys. It's just taking culture a very long time to revolve that way because it's so corrupted, you know, so they can't quite see it. But we have dudes that are literally slaving, working, chipping mm-hmm. away at being great, great writers. And so I think that that like uh, what the right what our people will be are basically a literary movement. I think that that's more or less like what we're mm. doing just because the sheer quality, it's undeniable. Like, yeah. the, it, you know, it's like rap music or something. It's like the, the things that we're making are so unique. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's what will, will be known as like in 10 years, this will all be remembered almost as a literature movement. It'll be like, that'll be what we're like. There's the check, like in history, it'll be like, there was a literary movement that arose and you know, these places, um, so I think that that's where we're headed in the culture thing. You know, like people are talking about, you know, like, where's your music? <laughs> like, and I'm like, there's not gonna, there's not gonna be any music. We're not, <laughs> we're not, there's not gonna be the musical version. I mean, we have our, our guys like Ariel Pink, you know, he's, he's our guy and, and this other dude who's semi canceled. But, um, so I think that literature is going to be a big thing. You know, somebody was just tweeting, uh, every copy of Welbeck's books is sold out in all of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which to me mm. is such a symbol, you know, I mean, do you know what I mean by that? No, Welbeck. Oh, so Michelle Welbeck, uh, you, you've probably seen it written. It's H O E U L L E B C Q. Welbeck. <laughs> okay. So Michelle Welbeck is, uh, probably the greatest writer currently working. He's a French guy. He wrote a uh, submission. He wrote, uh, um, elementary particles, possibility of an island. Okay. Uh, he's based. So he's like the only mainstream based writer there is. And he, he has a book called Submission that's about Islam taking over France. Okay. And it is unbelievably good. <laughs> he, because it's like, a, it's like he totally uh, like called what's happening now um, in France. So uh, the fact that Welbeck is sold out in Brooklyn is that's like, mm-hmm. that's like the canary in the coal mine. Like, like it's coming, you know, because okay. like, like that means like, Oh, okay. Like culture is about to now understand like okay. all of us. So I don't know. I mean, I, th- I, I, that's hopeful. I hope that that is what's happening in there. And in terms of uh, other stuff, I don't know. I don't know. What huh. do you think's, what do you think's coming down the pike? Uh, uh... I mean the election. Oh God! Oh God! I wish people would. 
That's such a talk about kayfabe. It's such a distraction. Where where are you at with the election? What's your wait the presidential at? election? Well, yeah. Does that matter? Or are you? Uh, I, it's just such a Fed post. The whole thing is just this huge Fed post. It's like you can't be, you can't you can't do anything about it. I mean, they they've weaponized the Department of Justice. What are you going to do? Like they they literally are trying to imprison their political rivals. Like and trying to censor social media. Like they're just open about it. In, in the so, name of democracy, they want to destroy democracy. So it's like, yeah, we're worried about our democracy. Let's destroy, yes, Let's destroy it. Let's destroy it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so, I mean, do you have a candidate or do you care? Or, or, you I, know, I like can't think on that level. I, th- I did yeah. that level. So it's distinct just, from me. It's just like pointless to even, it's just like fake. Are you, you like, like one of these no, no anti-voting guys? Like you just no, no. I'm asking. No, I, I'm going to vote for you know. I'll vote for the right, the right wing. You know, whoever yeah. it is. Yeah. I I, I will res, re, reveal that I do like DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like him. He's 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 put together something about Guantanamo. I have somebody told me like he was like the main lawyer for Guantanamo. I didn't know about that. He was like shilling for Guantanamo Bay or something like that back in the day. I don't know. Well, he was a jag. It was Jag. There you go. Yeah, he was a Jag. So so he must... I, I do think he was at Guantanamo. So yeah, he was... I think he... You're right. He was probably like doing like defensive torture memo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he probably was. You're right. Yeah. Where where are you at? I mean, are you a... a like, where are you at uh, politically in, in all of this? Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm uh, constitutionally, like in my constitution, I'm a liberal a centrist, but it needs to be defended and it can't defend itself. So I, I'm a liberal, uh, I'm, I'm a pro, con, a pro-right authoritarian, uh, libertarian. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want a center authority, but the center has to be preserved by somebody. And it needs to be served. It needs to, the, the liberal, the creative class, I'm creative class. So we lost our way. We started serving, we stopped serving the people who butter our bread. Oh, actually make the butter, make the bread. And then we just started eating and then selling fake bread and fake butter to everybody. So like the, the I, I want to put my talents and my sensitivities into service of something deeper you know, so as I age, like traditionalism is more and more attractive, but I still covet my freedom of thought, but cover my ability to be a dissident, you know, so I, I'm functionally a liberal. I, I, I need, yeah. I need the open market. I need to preserve the open market. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, well, that's, what's so funny about the enemies, right? It's like, they're so the, the word they use, like, like all everything they do, hmm. the word they use is fascism. And somebody told me this recently. Fascism actually means when the public and private sphere collapse onto each other, yeah. which is exactly what they are. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they are fascists. Everything like that's, for the state through the state yeah, of the state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the private sector. It's like two, it's the same thing. Like there's no private sector and public sector. It's just one thing. And that's what they are. They are global fascists. Like yeah. That's literally yeah. what they are. Yeah. Well, they're big enough fascists that they can be communists. So they, they get to yeah. square the circle. <laughs> I mean, communists were fascists, really, in a way, right? Yeah. I mean, like, kind of. Yeah. Are there, is there anything coming up? What What's your plans for your your show uh, this summer? Keeping it coming. Yeah. I just do try and do one a week. Yeah. Um, do you have yeah, a series been... that you're writing? Or do you think about dipping into literature? 
Yeah, so I write. I mean, I you know I still publish stuff. I just published yeah. a thing about going to Seattle, which was very well received. Um, a lot of attention on that. You know, I wrote a piece a year ago called "There's Going to Be a War in Montana." Yeah, and it like exploded. Like it like I literally got messages for months, like from hundreds, like thousands. Positive. Of oh yeah, yeah, people loved it. I mean, you know, plenty of negative. They they tried to, you know, they sent their creepy people after me, you know, <laughs> like which <laughs> which happened. Anytime people. you touch, anytime you hit a chord, they send their people, you know. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, um, but that went crazy, literally, like absolutely insane. It, it and so it got republished in a bunch of newspapers and. So that was huge. I mean, that was like, I got a bunch of followers hmm. on Substack, a bunch of, and so, you know, it, like the fact that I can do that on a stupid Substack blog, you know, I got to keep it, I have to keep the writing going, mm -hmm. but really I'm a travel writer, you know, like I'm a culture writer. Like okay. I'm a, that's like my heart. That's like really what I am. Like I'm, you know, I'm an ad guy. People think of me as an ad guy, but really like my true soul is a, I'm basically like a gonzo travel writer yeah. you know i mean that's what i wrote for vice that's what i wrote for la weekly you know and that's what i write given my own devices just you know you can't make money on that well i was thinking if if insofar as this is a literary movement it's kind of like the beats and so you could be the Kerouac and do the on the toad or maybe on the right your little uh madly viral first person hitchhiking <laughs> through the frog lands on the toad on the toad <laughs> <laughs> and it's just Pepe. <laughs> that's really good, man. Oh, damn. That's well, now I know what I'm doing for the next year, you know? <laughs> well, no, I remember like in one of the interviews yeah. that I li was just listening about you, you, you were saying something about hating subjective gonzo journalism, hating the, like the first person insert. Journalism. Were you not? Were you saying? You're saying that I don't hate subjective journalism. Okay. I love subjective no. journalism. I'm a, I'm a huge. That's like my whole. Okay. That's the only thing I read. It's the only thing I write. My favorite Orwell book is uh, Down and Out. You know, Down and Out okay. in Paris and London. It's just totally him just telling the story of working at restaurants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's my favorite shit. I'm a my my number one guy is Bukowski. And so Bukowski is, you know, just basically everything he writes is a Romanoclef. It's all, it's all a first person yeah. subjective experience. You know, that, you know, that's, Have you thought about building something for your corner, doing something like that? Do like a, just a travel log of, of the, the dissident, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I want to do that, you know, and, and I've had interest in it and, um, it's just you got to make money, man. You yeah, know? And this is why I, I like. Fine. I would love to just spend the next year writing a book and traveling around, but yeah. I have a kid. Yeah, you know. I mean, I can't just. You know, I'm I'm a good creative. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm I'm a good advertising creative. I think I probably you know could do more as a writer. Mm. I think if I wrote all the time, I think if I really had balls, I would just do the thing where you publish a piece every day, right? The problem is it takes me forever. Like, you know, other people can just write something great in a day. I have to chip and chip and chip and mm -hmm. chip. It's like, it takes me so long to write something that is that it's like, I, I don't have the ability to just like write every, you know, publish something that often. Yeah. So yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Trade-offs. Do you write? Uh, I wish I did, but it takes too long. I've written a number of novels that are all sitting there. Once I started YouTube, I, really? my, my brain switched over to audio. What kind of novels? Uh, postmodern epic. Uh, seven book series starts at the beginning of time and is at the end of time. Well, after the end of time, you know, like Ugh. the whole thing. All the footnotes and all the shit, you know, like going first person, second person, third person. So what, you're waiting for a publisher? No, I'm waiting to finish. Well, perfect it. It's all written. I just need to go over and over and over again. Just make it make it sing, you know. You have a deal? I mean, do you want to publish it? Like, I submitted I submitted one of the books to Lomez and he's like, oh, oh God. Um, so he's like, I'm super busy, but I'll, I'll give it a spin. So maybe I'd love to be in passage press. I'd, I'd like oh, to be on uh, totally passage press. I'd love that. We should completely publish this book. Yeah. That's a fun that's, one. That sounds really cool, man. No, it's good. So how did you become a podcaster? Like what? Well, I, I was at the Evergreen State College. I don't know if you know the story, but they had a huge uh, intersectional meltdown. Students took that over. That was Brett's, Brett. Brett Weinstein, yeah, 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 in 2017. And I was I was there for the whole time. I was watching the whole thing happen. And then everybody was commenting on it. So I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you the facts on the ground. And I took out all their... I got all the FOIA requests. I got all the video that the students made of the protests and then that the all the indoctrination stuff. So I, I made this documentary like this nine hour documentary that documents chronicles the entire happening and shows that it, the, the students were just acting out the teachers whims basically that was it was all maoist revolution that the college did to itself right we're gonna save the world from racism the students like this is a racist college let's burn it down you know so they kind of got what they deserved and then like i had attention so what do you do i started interviewing people and then i just you know just content 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 and then followed my. Well, gut. you're definitely a big name, man. When you when oh. you emailed, I was really excited and really thrilled. That's surprising. Because people say people always talk about you. They always say Benjamin Boyce, Benjamin Boyce. I just never like totally tuned in, but like you're definitely a huge name, man. Mm. So I, I mm. think you're doing great stuff. And I was just uh, digging into, you know, now I'm a subscriber to your YouTube, so I'll be able to watch whatever you're putting out. But um, mm. you know that the Cultural Revolution. There's a great book called the the. Um, the cow shed or something, what? the something shed well, here. Let me find it. And it's about the cultural revolution in China. And you know, that was all maybe just the shed China cultural revolution. Uh, it was all universities. It was all uh, students mm -hmm. literally Red the cow shed. Yeah, it's called the cow shed. Yeah. Literally imprisoning their professors. Yeah. So it's like, sounds like no, the same thing. No, it's perfect. I, I can send you a clip of the, I just did a montage of the Evergreen students and, and the Chinese, the Red Guard. And it was just oh, the same, same exact thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> they were doing the same body movements, the same uh, like graffiti, the same shouting, the same kind of like the same just mass madness. That's so crazy. Yeah. Like the big character posters where you're listing the, like the offenses of mm -hmm. the people, you mm -hmm. know, like that's a, apologize. Yeah, that's a yeah, here's your offenses. Yeah, you know? they did that with Brad. It was hilarious. They just made lists of all of his wrongs. And then the, yeah. the professors all signed up on it. So you were a student. Yeah, yeah. I went late. And then, uh, yeah, I was, and then I, was a, I was in the media department. So I just, like, I was watching all this crazy religious stuff. They were very religious. They had these ceremonies and stuff. They'd sing to the black students, you know. They'd, like, pray to them and everything. It was crazy. They do like these great like shows, and I'm like, you guys are like the cringiest freaking 
cult I've ever, I've, I know cults and this is the cult of cringe. It was crazy. It was insane. And then they just, they had nothing to do but double down, double down, double down. Yeah. They had to keep going. Right. 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 And then 2020 happened and it was the same thing. Just writ large worldwide yeah. evergreen. Wow. So did you maintain Christianity? Um, I would like to, I would like to, my heart's still a Christian. I mean, my, my spirituality is a little different, but, um, like going to church, I, there's, I'm fond of the Catholic church. There's something humbling about it. You know, you just go to a Catholic church and listen to them sing their songs and take their communion. There's something really beautiful about it. And I, I, I feel a truth inside of it. That's different than what everybody's saying. Like there's a reality there. There's a reality to that side of life that is difficult to communicate. So I don't really communicate it a lot on my channel or anything. It's better to try to emulate what, what that reality is than try to talk about it. So I'm kind of anti-theologian. I'm kind of an anti-theologian. You can't really communicate this stuff. Either you see it or you don't, you know, and life is either supported by God or it's not, you know, it's either a mechanistic thing that you're thrown into, or it's a living thing that's communicating with you. And I, I cite on the second. What's the first thing? So it's either something that you're communicating with actively or what's the, what's the first the one? The first one, it's either this mechanistic phenomena that you're thrown into. Like you're just uh, thrown into this thing and you're just dealing you're with this like thing. part of it. Yeah. Part of it versus like a communicating thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. there's Sam Harris, you know, or. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know Sam Harris. I don't know. I don't know the opposite of Sam Harris, but he's very like mechanistic. But he has a faith in the system, right? Like when he, he his brain broke because Trump got elected. If you see his antics on Twitter, he quit Twitter. But he like he's like you have to believe in the experts. You have to believe that the experts know what they're talking. It's like he 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 just reinvented this priestly system without God. It's all the system. It's just this dead yeah. system. There's yeah. no life in that system. No, it's so true. Man. No humility. I mean, without God, it's just so silly. You know, I mean, it's it's such a choice, you know, and they, they don't realize they're making it. You huh. know, they think they think this is this is true. Wait, so you, they don't realize that they're just choosing darkness. Huh. <laughs> you know I mean, they're just it's like a, such a choice that they're making. How did you realize that? Or did you I've always, always know? So I'm I'm Jewish, you know my my mother's Jewish, my father's not Jewish, but I, uh, you know I've uh, I've had a relationship with God since I was like really young, and so I was raised with no religion at all, you know I mean I wasn't bar mitzvah, I was nothing, absolutely nothing, but, you know because as I said, my parents are basically progressives as religion, like you know voting for the right people is their religion, um. And, but I remember from a very young age, like making deals with God, right? Hmm. You know, like, yeah, you're it's a like, very Jewish way of talking to the yeah, creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take $1 and that's $2. Can I have $3? No. Uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> very Jewish. The funny thing is, when you really get into Judaism, it is the most Jewish religion. <laughs> it's like it's so Jewy because <laughs> it's like it's so many like exceptions of an exception of an exception, and you're like, well, but what if I do this? And it's like, yeah, it's like it's like it's like a, arguing with a landlord. <laughs> but but the fact is, like, so I rejected it for a long time. I was the most self-hating Jew ever. I mean, like, I was so hated. You know, I hated the whole thing. 
but at a certain point, you know, you got to say, hey, you know, it's who I am. Like, what what can I do? I can't, I can't act. I can't. Uh, I mean, I guess I could convert to Christianity, but it just didn't. It seemed like um, hmm. I was a Jew, you know. It seemed like when I when I like looked at the 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 like liturgy and I like learned about it, it was like yeah. I'm clearly being, you know, I'm clearly like on this side of it. And so I, you know, I um, started studying with a Chabad rabbi about like three years ago, and it hmm. was just like you know trying to accept and not you know hate my people <laughs> you know trying to like love them you know for reform for the reformers and... what reform what? the reformers well i'm not trying to reform i mean like look they're gonna do their thing i'm, I'm not gonna uh huh. try and reform them you know they they are gonna do what they're gonna do but but i just had to accept that this is who i was yeah. and how does and, um, how does yeah. the reality as revealed to you, like the reality of your faith, your Jewishness, or how how does it separate? Uh, how has it been lost in this reform movement? Do you see like they've oh my god dropped that reality or strayed from that? So the 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 way I started getting into like real Judaism was I went to a wedding, and I hate weddings. I hate modern weddings because they're so pathetic and they're so my cousin for example jewish uh married a you know random asian man and uh they were married literally by a magician who <laughs> was like pulling pulling things out of the hat and it was just a joke it's like a joke like this is not a marriage this is like a a joke like this is a celebration like this has nothing to do with any tradition it's completely rootless it, it, the fact that she had a magician was just like this shows exactly how serious this is it's mm -hmm. a complete fucking joke like this is not even real at all so i randomly ended up going to a hasidic wedding and i was like this is everything a wedding should be mm -hmm. you know it's like reading the text it's it tradition rooted in uh, you know, deep uh, bloodlines and everything like that. Of course, funnily enough, that marriage, the Hasidic marriage, uh, broke up like within six months <laughs> after hmm. I went to it. But, uh, but, but, um, the marriage itself was like, I was like, wow, like that, this is what the point of this is. Like, this is a religious ceremony. Like, this is what we should be doing. And so, uh, that's when I started to like study and like talk to Hasidic people and, um, they say there is nothing more dangerous for the world than a Jewish soul without God. And I think that that's really true. Like, I think that Jewish people have a, a weird kind of role in the world, you know, and, and um, almost as if you're chosen. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that. I don't, I don't think the Jews are any more chosen than anybody else. I, I'm, you know, look, I don't, I'm not a Jewish supremacist. I don't think Jews are better than other people. I think they're, you know, plenty of problems, <laughs> plenty, mm. plenty of problems with the Jewish people. I just think that, uh, you know, it's a tribe, it's a tribe like any other. And, hmm. um, this particular tribe has a lot of weird characteristics and, I think that uh, the reform people are just, you know, 
oh, they're the worst of the worst, man. They're they're so lost. They're so completely amoral, you know. And and it's just like they're taking every bit of religion that is self-serving without sacrificing anything. Hmm. You know, it's like I'm gonna take the community. I'm gonna take the. Um, you know, uh, protection. I'm going to take the feeling like I have a purpose in life. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take the, uh, you know, the, the privilege of being with, um, you know, people that can help me get jobs and I'm not going to sacrifice anything. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything that I don't want to do. Right. And th- this is, this is the issue that I take with people like Barry Weiss. It's like, okay, you cannot be a proud lesbian Jew. It's just not, that's not fair. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking, hmm. you know, it's like being a gay Christian. It's like, that's cheating. Like, yeah, you can't, you know what I mean? Like, hmm. like, it's like being like, I'm a proud Christian adulterer. <laughs> you know what I mean? They would be like that. It would be like being a proud Jewish adulterer. Hmm. You know what hmm. I mean? It's like, you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. Like, Sure. We sin. We all sin. We do the bad thing. But we have to be ashamed of the bad thing. You know, we have to sacrifice the bad thing. We have to say, I shouldn't be doing this thing that I want to do. And it's better and it's more godly for me to not do that thing. Hmm. Whereas Reformed Jews, there are no limits. You know what I mean? And it, so in that way, they're they're the least godly people because they're just taking without any sacrifice at all. Hmm. How did you square yourself with that then? You're like, wait, I have to sacrifice in order for this to be real. Yeah. I think that's a that's one of the hidden, like if we're doing a uh, like a marketing session for this right thing that you're a part of, like there's 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 sacrifices in there, uh, asceticism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are definitely sacrifices. I think for me, I mean, and this is also a little bit of a of a hacky cheating answer, but I think that um, the sacrifice for me, the biggest sacrifice, is the um, openness about the beliefs, right? Yeah, I mean that's it. You what know, do you mean? It, it, well, you can't hide it under open, a bushel. Is that what you mean? Being open about my beliefs is deeply damaging to me, right? I mean, it's like very, hmm. very, it's a massive liability. <laughs> you know what I mean? I live in LA, I'm in marketing. Like, like being openly right wing is okay. a insane sacrifice. You know, it's an, it's a sacrifice beyond what 99% of people would do, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's so damaging. I mean, it's literally like, I can't, dude. I cannot get a job in the mainstream of my industry. Yeah. I used two years ago, I could get it easily get jobs all the time. I did. You know, I got, I got like four jobs. Any, anytime I put my resume out there, easy job. Now, absolutely zero hmm. because I have the scarlet letter. You know, I mean, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm marked. Yeah. So to me, that I convince myself like my big sacrifice is that, you know, like telling the truth. You know, like that's my big strength. That being said, self-deprivation absolutely brings you closer to God every time. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you can not do the the sins, you're better off. But, you know, we all <laughs> we all slip up occasionally. <laughs> you know, I'm, a, 
I'm a gonzo travel writer, so it's like, uh, I, I got <laughs> to... Take gotta after your forebearer, Mr. Thompson, <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> right, right. Huh. But you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't glorify it. You know, and I, I don't believe in glorifying those things. You know, I mean, I did, I used to. I certainly used to think it was very cool to, like, do drugs and have sex. And now I don't think that at all. I mean, I think that, should, that stuff should be absolutely frowned upon. And I think we should control ourselves. And, you know, I'm with the Tradcast on that, man. Like, degeneracy is not good. You know, we should, we should frown on degeneracy. That should be all things you do behind closed doors, mm. you know, not like publicly. You know, mm. and then even with BAP, I think he, I think he goes a little too much into, I, I don't think he's had his uh, Jewish reawakening yet. He, he will, but not mm. yet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Hasidim means? Yeah, I forgot. Course. What does it mean? Hasidim is just Hasidic people. It's a, Hasidim means Hasidic Jews. Oh, but is there Hasidim, is it just a tribal name? I thought it meant something like Muslim means you know uh, it has a it has a meaning in itself. But the Hasidim, the Hasidim or the Hasidic, you know what a Hasidic. Jew okay, is? so it's just a, it's a tri, it's an ethnic name. Well, but do you know what a like? Do you know what a Hasidic? Well, Jew is? I know like the ultra yeah, orthodox. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Hasidim are a sect of Judaism that it's actually really funny. So it's like, you know how the Taliban is actually a reaction to modern life. Like the the Taliban is younger than America. Like fundamentalist Islam is younger than America. Mm-hmm. You know, like we think that fundamentalist Islam like dates back to a the thousand 70s. years. Okay. It's a reaction to mo- modernism. Okay. Like, like yeah. you know, Hasidim is, Hasidism is the same thing. So you see those Jews with the crazy hats and everything like that. That's a new movement. That That is a movement against liberalism. And so that uh, hmm. popped up in Russia in like 1700s, 1800s. And today, all of these followers, these adherents of Hasidic Judaism, and Chabad is a part of Hasidism, but which was what I am. I'm Chabad. But Chabad is like um, the very normie, like open mm. part of it. But but uh, you know, the payas and the hats and the dressing and the, you know, the talit and the, all that stuff, that's... Um, Hasidism. That that's what a Hasidism is, and a Hasidim, a Hasidim is a, just a member of that. Okay. That's what that means. All right. For a few and years they, there, what? Sorry. No, no, nothing. No, no, that's that's it. Okay. Yeah. For a few years, like that, uh, that word kept on coming in my prayers. I kept on saying Hasidim, Hasidim, Hasidim. I thought it meant like submission. I thought. What do you mean prayers? Uh, I just, I have my, my spiritual practice is, uh, it's called Subud and it's a spontaneous, um, non dogmatic, non liturgical form of worship. That's purely from the inside out. Just following, um, just a spontaneous worship. And for me, it goes through different phases. Sometimes it's singing or dancing or moving. Sometimes I just get stuck on a word. And Hasidim, Hasidim, Hasidim was just a part of it for a while. And so, I, so I read a bunch crazy. of Wait, Orthodox mysticism. Subud, S-U-B-U-D. S-U-B-U-D. Oh, this is cool, man. Oh, Subud. This is awesome, man. Yeah, I stumbled S-U-B-U-D. upon it. S-U-B-U-D. Yeah. It's very small. It's very, uh, it's just, it's non-dogmatic and non-evangelical. So not only do we not talk about it, but when it's time to talk about it, we don't know what to say, so. 
either that's get it so or not. That's crazy that yeah. Hasidim was part of that. They, yeah. Like, for some reason, you were being delivered, like, Hasidim. That's so funny. Like, yeah. where did that come from? It was so weird. It was for a while, and then I did I did read a lot of the tales uh, in Hasidim. Uh, not necessarily the mystic stuff, but kind of there's, like, these stories. I was trying to wrestle with some something I needed to learn from that corner of monotheism. I'm a monotheist. I can't get away from yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the Hasids are basically um, esoteric Jews. So so they, they believe in a lot of very dense, deep... Uh, so I've been studying the, Tom, or the Tanya with my Hasidic Tanya. rabbi. And the Tanya is basically Kabbalah. So it's like... Yeah. Um, how do you translate really that? mystical kind of how do, how do you use your mind to to communicate to the spirit or how do you train your mind to be a vessel for the spirit or attuned to that through this ritual practice of study well that's so studying torah in this form of judaism and in i mean even the reformed people would admit that this is true in judaism the most absolute holy thing you can ever do is study torah so that's why Hasids, like you see the guys all bound up with all the crazy stuff, like the tefillin, like I wrap tefillin. Um, I actually, it's not here, but um, uh, it, the like 20% of all the citizens of Israel, for example, don't work because they believe that all you should be doing is studying Torah. And the most holy thing is studying Torah. So the true Hasids they literally sit in a room and they study Torah all day. Mm, okay. <laughs> like that's all they do. I, one time, man, I walked in on one of these guys once in LA cause we were going to a mikvah, which is like a bath, like a ritual bath, me and my like crazy ass Hasid friend. And we walked in on this dude who was like deep in prayer. And it was like very, it was like disturbing <laughs> because he was so wrapped up and like, all kinds of like to fill in and so many things. And he was like so deep in it and he wasn't expecting to be disturbed and we disturbed him. And it was, I was like, damn, like it was almost like seeing like a feral child. Or something. It was like, <laughs> like, 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 like this guy is like deep. Like, yeah, like all mm. he's just like in this crazy state all day, just like reading Torah and they think that, you know, according to them, that is what you should be doing. Like mm -hmm. you should literally abandon everything and just study Torah all day. Mm -hmm. Like that's what, that's what you should do. And so, uh, do you get some you know, of that for, through your study? Like the yeah, vibe? Yeah, no. So, I mean, like I study Torah, but I study Torah, you know, an hour a week on yeah, Friday, you yeah. know, but it's like, uh, you know, for me, like I, I think, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I don't study Torah all the time. I mean, I guess maybe I should more, but. I just just using the mind to get close to God yeah. is an interesting. Well, it sounds like that's kind of what this is also. So Bud is similar, right? Uh it's uh well, I mean, uh we only do it a couple times a week. I mean, any individual, but it's um it's it's you release, you just quiet yourself and you receive and you follow. So it's 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 it bypasses when done well, when you're on it, it bypasses the mind. Yeah, pure vibe pure vibes isaac we went all over the place thanks yeah, for man. joining this me was great this was awesome um i'm i'm really curious to learn more from you about this corner um 
so thanks for giving me like kind of crash test and all the things that we talked about, but I, I would invite any sort of like, put me on the beat, tell me who to go, who's next, what, who did to talk to. Did you do Lomez? Lomez is cool. I'll have him back on. Oh, Lomez. so you did have him on. Yeah, I've you had, had him, him on. on. Yeah. I got to do, hopefully uh, someday I'll do BAP when I get through his book. And then I want to do Geo, but he, like you said at the beginning of your interview with him, like there's so much to research with them, like that I haven't been able to research. That's actually not really true. You could, you could do Geo. He actually doesn't have that much at all. That's the thing. He he actually really doesn't. He I mean, his podcast, there's a lot of it, but his writing, there's not a lot of it. Hmm. There's only like a couple things. So you, you could definitely have Geo. Who would you like? What about like, uh, you know, who was great? Like one of my favorite guests ever that hmm. I had was Bennett's phylactery. Hmm. Oh, definitely do him. I think you guys would really get along. He, he has a thing called Exit Group. Uh, he's a big account. I'll, I'll send you his his yeah. account. And he's really, really smart. He's really well read. Um, yeah, I would have Bennett's Flactory on. He's the man. Yeah, he's can you send like, me the link? Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you right here. <clears throat> it's in the... I put it in the... Uh, you have plans this weekend? I'm going to stop the recording. <clears throat> um, yeah, go for it.